Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to this episode of United Nations of Horror. I should say, welcome on, bienvenue, and welcome to the this episode of United Nations Horror. This is episode 29. This is a special, which is our second special on the Hellraiser series. I'm Mark from the UK, and today I'm joined by... Hi, I'm... Uh... I, I'm uh, I'm Mike from Chicago. Oh god, I don't want to be here today, guys. <laughs> I want to talk about movies. <laughs> oh, when you're in hell, just you keep going. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm Matt from London in the UK. Um, so today, as I said, was this is the second in a two-part series covering uh, the universe of Hellraiser. And in our first part, we covered several aspects of Hellraiser. We most notably we did the first four movies, and we did a few other bits and bobs. Um, but tonight we're covering the remaining five movies uh, and possibly a, f- a couple of uh, online fan shorts. But we've also got a segment on the comic books of Hellraiser with myself and Matt. There's a segment on the first and last books about Pinhead by Clive Barker, uh, which is the first one being the Hellbound Heart, which we again we did talk about last time, but it's uh, it's going. Going into more detail this time, uh, and also the last book, The Scarlet Gospels, uh, with our UNH librarian Talicia Tava. I'm really looking forward to hearing that actually. Yeah, and I am on it as well. Awesome. Also, there's a segment uh, featuring an interview with Paul Kane, who's a writer long associated with the Hellraiser franchise, who's got a, written a terrific reference work, which is called Hellraiser and its Legacy. That covers the first eight films, uh, and plus uh, some of the comics and and some of the f- fan shorts. It's a great reference. I highly recommend it. In fact, I had much more entertaining time reading these chapters on some of these films than watching some of these films we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, but Paul's not only tied to the Hellraiser series with that, he's also edited a rather good collection uh, that I've read of stories about Cenobites and the Hellraiser mythos, as it were, called Hellbound Hearts. It's I think it's 21 stories by different authors, and there's some really good stories in that collection. Uh, I really quite enjoyed it. So I have to say that this is this particular special is quite a bestiary of items. All right, let's Does that jump. Mean in. A piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> a, a collection of a variable quality. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so let's get into the first film, Hellraiser Five, which is called Inferno. It was made in two thousand, and the basic introduction to it is: there's a cop who's a corrupt. He's corrupt. His name's Joseph Fawn. He, he's in Denver. And he regularly indulges in drug use and infidelity during the course of his duties. It's a bit of um, a, what's it called, bad lieutenant kind of element yeah. to this. Uh, and at the scene of what appears to be a ritual murder, he discovers this strange puzzle box. He takes it home in order to indulge his personal fascination with puzzles. He, he's, a, he's a guy that likes puzzles. Uh, and then it all kicks off. 
I'm not going to go into all the details of this. Um, what were your thoughts about this film? Let, let's do Matt first. Um, is there a, did what did that... you like about it? Let's put it. Let's start on the po- positives, shall we? What did I like about it? I actually, as a film, I actually quite liked it. Um, it it's hard to talk about it about just the things that I liked. I liked the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, I thought some of the effects were quite good with the Cenobites, um, the, you know, the kind of uh, the, the makeup effects and the special effects um, yeah. I thought were really good. I didn't mind it as a, as a movie. It just didn't really feel like a Hellraiser movie. I agree with that. Well, yeah. uh, we'll come on to that in a bit. Mike, what did you like about it? Was there anything you liked about this one? Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'm actually going to say this is the best movie we're going to talk about tonight. Um, it's not a great movie. I'll dive into that more later. But the things I like about it, I like it kind of conceptually. I like the idea of a protagonist, like this detective investigating a victim of the box. But I just kind of, as Matt said, it doesn't really go in a Hellraiser direction, which I thought was an issue. But I thought that there was some kind of cool, creepy Cenobite scenes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there's some really creepy, cool visuals. And I really love the ending. Uh, I love the ending of the movie. I kind of agree with you guys. Um, I thought, I think I've already discovered that there's like a Bad Lieutenant kind of vibe to this. It almost felt yeah. like a cross between Bad Lieutenant and something like Jacob's Ladder. You know, a, a guy yeah. seeing visions of his own personal hell, perhaps. Um, and I did like some of the bits. The bit that I particularly liked in this, was there, there was a weird scene where these these twi- Cenobite twins are kind of seducing him. And instead of just caressing his chest, they're actually sticking their hands under his skin and kind of caressing him, almost like under a jumper, but it's his skin. That was really creepy. Personally, though, I didn't like this film. I thought it was a kind of... Apart from those sort of moments, I thought it was a pretty poor film. Um, And one of the issues I had was they weren't really Cenobites. They were more like demons. Yeah, they seemed more concerned with punishing people for their yeah. sins and for the wrongs they've done rather than than what we know of the Cenobites. Yeah, I mean... Religious order. Sort of. Cenobites yeah. are like having flesh to do stuff to, don't they? They don't, they don't care what people, you know, if they've done bad. It's like... Exactly. Like, that's the thing. Um, As you guys mentioned earlier, this has got... This movie has got nothing to do with the uh, Hellraiser mythology. Mm. Um, most of these sequels we're going to talk about tonight have got nothing to do this makes no f- sense as far as a Hellraiser movie goes. I think it's like an okay movie, but having Hellraiser on it really brings it down because it just doesn't make any sense. They're, hell, a lot of the Hellraiser moments, uh, there's like none of that in the middle of the movie. There's some in the beginning and then some at the end, but as far as throughout the movie, like the whole idea of – I watched it a week ago, so I'm trying to remember. Isn't this the one where – it's like the chatterer. He's going around and killing people. He's got like a leather jacket or like a hoodie on or something. Yeah, it's, well, it's not the chatterer, is it? But it's it, yeah, it looks a bit like it him. looks a so bit the, like the, him. The, the head is just stupid. Skin, it makes no it? sense. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I say. Well, I think I think as you pointed out, they, these aren't really anything to do with the Hellraiser. And uh, many of the script these scripts were just scripts that someone decided to parachute Pinhead in yeah, at some right. point. Um, and Doug Bradley is often a little aggrieved, even you know he's aggrieved, but he, but he's appeared in these films that they make Pinhead so prominent in the advertising when he's in it so little. I mean, he, I think he's happy to be in it, and he kind oh, of yeah. he he's does a, bring something. He always brings something, but mm-hmm. he he shouldn't be like front and center in the ads if he's in it for such a short amount of time. Yeah, 
Um, you, I, could, you could you could see the influence of other movies from the time here, I think, because this was what was this nineteen? No, sorry, two thousand. Yeah. So you could definitely see some influences from films like Seven um, coming through that sort of dark. Sort of mm. detective noir kind of thing yeah i mean the this period was a really a kind of downbeat depressing time like you say seven yeah and the, you can kind of see it in if you watch tv uh stuff from this period and i'm thinking of things like the t- the the second adaptation of salem's lot say um they're really depressing and sort of downbeat and a battlestar galactica which did it well was like a really downbeat series from like a few mm. years after this and it's kind of it's something was in the zeitgeist and tv and movies kind of wanted to show everything dark and depressing uh and this kind of acts on that although as we've said there was some kind of cool stuff in this with with the um cenobites though they weren't really cenobites they were they were to me it felt more like like demons I'd agree they were, they were pretty cool, though. I quite like the, yeah. the one without the legs. But he was... Yeah, he was creepy. That yeah, was that very was creepy. creepy. Yeah. Just the way it was, like, crawling up the stairs. Um, yeah. Yeah, some of, of the things. some of the um, bits of where the guy was kind of in peril from his visions, that they were cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, um, I mean, again, the whole vision thing didn't even... It's, it's so hard to rate this movie because it's it like, is. as a movie, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. But then it's like, but that's not Hellraiser. That's like the whole thing. There's a video. There's a whole thing with a videotape. Him watching a videotape in a bar, that is kind of a creepy scene. But I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, what? So the Cenobites are sending you snuff films? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. This movie was so frustrating <laughs> to me in that sense because I would try to like it so hard. I really tried, but it kept battling me on it. What, what did you guys think of Craig Sheffer as the, the, the lead? The lead guy, yeah. I can't. I didn't think he was good, but I can't blame him because his character is really flat. It's a really flat one note character. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was okay. I think a better actor could have made something a bit better of the material, but it was fairly sort of threadbare material, frankly. Because yeah. so, he was the lead in um, what do I want to say? Nightbreed, the Nightbreed movie. So I guess that's the connection there mm. as to why he was in yeah, this Yeah, I, I didn't think it was... I, I think the material in that was better. Yeah. And it were better. And it, but again, it could have been... That could have been done better by a better actor. He's got a good chin, though. I uh, like his chin. <laughs> Very good chin. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure I've got much more to say about this, actually. It, it kind of... Um, I kind of like seeing Doug Bradley, even though it didn't really fit in this film, and and it was kind of, um, you know, it was it was parachuted in, obviously. Uh, but I always like to see Doug Bradley. He does bring something. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Mike, have you got anything else to say about this one? Um, it's better than Bloodlines. Uh, do you think? Oh, really? You know what? The um, fourth one. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of oh like my that. God, no, I, I particularly like the, uh, you know, the first sec, you know, the in time, the first section. Yeah, sorry, in chronology. Yeah, you know, the seventeenth century at least stuff. Bloodlines followed the Hellraiser story. Yeah, or at least tried to. One of the things I'll say about all these films we've watched is they made me appreciate Bloodline a bit more. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Oof! Oh my! God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mind you, I did like Blood one way more than you, I think, Mike. Oh yes. Um, uh, I mean, I didn't. It was great, but I liked it. You know, uh, this one I I, I kind of liked, but it wasn't a Hellraiser film. 
So no, it's exactly. kind of, I mean, and I only just, it only just scraped through for me without, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I wish I didn't have to watch this. It was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. Yeah, it's right. You know, it was, it was kind of like that. Um, but I'm very, very tolerant of films. I haven't said that. Okay, let's rate it. Matt, what would you give this out of 10? I would get oh, out of 10. Uh, I would give this um, five out of 10. Five? Yeah, that, yeah I would argue I think, with that. I think if you can put aside the fact that it's not really a Hellraiser movie, it's 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 basically a psychological crime thriller, isn't it? With a few Cenobite scenes bolted on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of enjoyable. Um, so, yeah. Um, what about you, Mike? What would you give it? Uh, well, as I said, I like. I think the interest, uh, the story has interesting points throughout it. I mean, it's kind of a. It feels like a straight to DVD kind of trash horror movie, but I think it's fun in that sense. I think it's got a lot of cool elements to it, but that Hellraiser name brings it down a lot because it's just so not a Hellraiser movie. I feel like if you could have had a more interesting character and taken a Hellraiser movie, the Hellraiser title off, this would have been a pretty decent flick. Like it would have been a, a more of a cult kind of movie, I think, yeah. but I yeah. can't rate it on what it could have or should have been. I have to rate it on what it is. And if it weren't for that ending, which I really liked, I'd give it a lower rating, but at the end of the day, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a six out of 10 because I, I thought it was entertaining enough, but right. I mean, it's, it's not a great Hellraiser movie. No, I think possibly, I think many of the films we're going to talk about suffer from what I'm just about to say, which is when you get Hellraiser in the title, it it gives you a certain expectation. Yeah. Um, Now, even if you've only seen, say, the first one, the Cenobites act in a particular and specific way, Mm. and they don't act that way in this film at all. Uh, So it's almost like... You go in this film with an expectation, almost like a hype that you're going to get this, and you don't get it, and it kind of just, it, and therefore it, it is disappointing. Yeah, well, they're just um, trying to shoehorn the Cenobites into, yeah, other stories basically. Yeah. However, I, actually, I kind of like seeing Doug Bradley, even though it was kind of not relevant that much. Um, personally, though, I am going to give this, I think, three out of ten. Um, it wasn't. I didn't think it was that great, actually. Uh, there was a few scenes in it I kind of liked, but I found there were stretches of it were quite tedious, actually. Um, when we were getting the visions, it was fine, but like when it was proced- police procedural stuff, it, I found it a bit dull, actually. Um, okay, let's move on to the next one. This is Hellraiser uh, 6. Well, it hasn't got that title. It was Hellraiser Hellseeker. Now, in this one, we have a a man called Trevor Gooden who survives a car accident that apparently kills his wife, who's Kirsty from Hellraiser 1. Uh, what was she it, doing in this? What was she doing? Yeah, well, she's back. It's the same actress. Their car plunges off a bridge into a river, and Trevor manages to escape with his life. Um, and police divers find both cold doors open, and there's no sign of Kirsty. Uh, one month later, Trevor wakes up in hospital and realises that his wife's missing, but he's had a head injury and he he's uncertain um, uh, what happened in the past. And his head injury apparently has caused him to uh, sort of um, get have a have fantasies and not be able to distinguish between reality and the fantasies. I think I think that's a sort of reasonable intro for this. Um, okay, so, so we kind of. 
in many ways, this is kind of similar to Inferno. Uh, yeah, very similar. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, because they're so, both kind of. Oh no, this will give it away. Do we do we care about spoilers? No, Probably not. No, I think spoilers from now of, on. Yeah, like we can sort of. It was all a dream kind of thing, aren't they? Where yeah. the well, reality that uh, they're in is not really the reality kind of thing. Well, kind of. It was hard kind to tell. <laughs> I mean, it's like this is their – it's not that it's all a dream. It's that, that these guys are in their personal hells. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that that comes across as kind of Twilight Zone twee kind of yeah. thing. I kind of like that though. I thought that they were cool. I think that the endings – just like um in Inferno, I think the ending to this movie works really well. I actually well, – I think there's a couple of twists at the ending that I really dug and I thought were pretty cool. Uh, okay, cool. Um, and we get um, we get s- Pinhead sort of turning up. Um, I'm trying to remember now exactly how, what happens. Does he just uh, turn up randomly now and again? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Um, um, yeah, I, he's only in the ending of this one, I think. There yes. was one there where he did turn up. I can't remember which one. Really, he does early. turn up as a kind of almost like as a warning. Th- like that... really out of character. Um, I think that was Dada. I think that's a different one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they all blend into one, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to pick this one apart from Dada because yeah. they, no. they're both just like I keep forgetting. Yeah. I actually think this one is is actually more in line with this is to me the most Hellraiser movie except actually the last one, which is kind of quite Hellraiser in in, in some of his elements. Um, this is yeah. more of a Hellraiser film than Inferno and more of a Hellraiser film than Deader and Hellworld. And I think this was because of Doug Bradley made these suggestions. We are, we get a touch of Pinhead being kind of in a sort of deadly embrace with Ashley. You know, there's a sort of... He wants to see her again, you know, and he wants to deal with her again. And it's like yeah. his want to do something drives some of the, what's going on here, which is interesting to me, anyway. Um, but she strike the, one of the elements of it just didn't ring true at all, which is she strikes a deal to you know if if she gets in five souls, she gets out off. Yeah. Um, and it sounds and that doesn't work because I think Pinhead is obviously kind of fascinated with her, and I think. There's no way he'd say, oh, yeah, five souls for yours will be fine. And plus, he doesn't trade in souls. You know, he's a Cenobite. Well, they didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't that kind of happen in the first film, though? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I was um, going to call bullshit on that, but I thought that that happened in one of the earlier movies. I couldn't remember. That's true. Yeah, you you got a point there. That is true. But the, I think my point, actually, well, another one of my points was more valid, which is I don't think Pinhead would sell her that letter off that cheaply. Yeah, yeah. I just don't I see that. Yeah, her specifically. Yeah, her specifically for that. Um, um, and also going back to the first one when it happened, I think it's because one, the soul escaped. That's what really bothered him. But yeah, that, that's by the by. Um, there's some odd imagery in this. There's, there's like, is there like an eel or something pulled out of his throat at the end? Yeah, what does that mean? I think so. It's a very sexual movie too. It seems like everybody just wants to fuck this dude. <laughs> it's really weird. And I, I didn't get it. Yeah, I had trouble following the plot in this. Um, oh yeah, what what plot? Yeah, it was it was kind of weird. It was kind of weird that they did a very similar plot to the um, 
to the one just before as well. It was kind of... Yeah, and it's like, I think this movie has kind of a... And I like the main guy. I think he's okay, and I like the setup. I think it's got an interesting setup to where it's like, okay, this isn't a Hellraiser movie, but as a movie, I kind of like it. But, I mean, and like I said, I like the ending, but it just really doesn't go anywhere. It just fucking goes nowhere. It's just a bunch of hanging out the whole movie. Now, (laughs) to be honest, I thought the third act was pretty good. In fact, I thought the weaknesses were in the first and second act, but the third act kind of brought it together for me quite well. Maybe because I was sitting there trying to figure it out, and then finally when the penny dropped, the sense of relief kind of was, ah, yeah, this this is all right kind of thing. I don't know. Um uh, yeah, so I, I, I thought it resolved better than you did, Mike, I think. No, I mean just um, I should have worded that better because, I, like I said, I like the third act, but I mean, I guess it, I should say it didn't feel like it was going anywhere in yes, that second yeah, act. Yeah, I agree it with that. It just really felt aimless. It was a bit wandering around all over the place, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And again, it was kind of nice to see Doug Bradley, but I think he was in this less than the the one before. It felt like he was really in it for a really short time. Oh, and this well, definitely. He's yeah, early. Was he? Was he? Only, I mean, the only time he talked, I think, was when he was talking to Kirsty. It's been so. It's been about three weeks since I've seen this. So I'm, I'm kind of digging back here. Uh, the uh, I have to say, these stories are very forgettable. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think all basically all of the movies we're gonna t- even the better ones, which I use lightly, they're all forgettable. Hmm. Yeah, they're not. They're nowhere near the first or second. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, so there was some interesting. I was kind of pleased to see Ashley again. Um, I wonder what she thinks of this film. She's like she oh, was kind I... of superfluous, though. Really, I mean, it could have been any any woman or any any person well, really playing that role. It didn't didn't really make much sense for it to be her. Um, well, up until the ending, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, I think it was cool to be her because, like, of Pinhead's fascination with her. It kind of worked for me. Going back to the comics, which we were talking about earlier, Mark, it does actually tie into the comics more because there is this definite, very definite ongoing relationship between Kirsty and Pinhead and Captain Elliot Spencer. So, so yeah, yeah, that does kind of make a bit more sense. It does, yeah. In the, in the kind of expanded that. universe of Hellraiser. Yeah, and also in the expanded universe of Hellraiser, the, the, the Cenobites actually are happy to do deals if it gives them more but usually it's more flesh to deal with rather than souls um uh we again we saw that in the comics you know people you know they'll trade give me this whole bar of people and we'll consider letting you off kind of stuff call us up in a busy place kind of and we'll consider letting you off uh there is a touch of that um let's get let's get to rating um uh hellseeker though um mike what would you rate this out of 10 well, like I said, there's. I think it has interesting setup, and it's got a really good ending. But everything uh, leading up to that is just totally dull. And I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a four out of ten. Yeah, I'm being pretty nice, but I. I guess when a movie has a good ending, it leaves me with a better feeling. So mm. I'm a bit nicer towards it, and I really like the ending to this. But it's really. I don't know if it's worth just sitting through it. I mean, it's really not. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It was kind of, uh, there was, I mean, there was a point when I was going through these films where I thought I wouldn't sit and watch these if I wasn't doing this for a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm trying to remember where that was. Um, I think it was probably the next film. Uh, but anyway, we'll get to that. Um, but that's more for not necessarily a reflection on that film. It's more like Hellraiser fatigue. 
Um, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, four. I mean, uh, that does sound generous from what you said, actually. Um, so, Matt, what would you give this? I'd probably give this the same as um, Inferno, actually, a five out of ten. Um, I think they're on a they're on a similar level. They're not terrible, terrible movies, and I think there's there's stuff in there to enjoy. Um, mm. But again, it's just it it's just not a Hellraiser movie, really. It's just a you know it's a the, the Hellraiser stuff has been bolted on afterwards, clearly. Um, but it, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I like the the reveal towards the end when we find out what's actually going on. Um, that's actually where it gets interesting towards the end. Yeah. Um, I quite liked the Detective Lang character. Um, I thought he was quite funny, popping up now and again. And he, he, there was one moment where he does the whole Columbo, one more thing. <laughs> so he was kind of like a bit of comedy comedy relief there. Yeah, um, that was a touch. Um, so, yeah, but, um, yeah, five out of ten. Okay, I actually like this a little better than Inferno, um, mainly because I thought there was a solid third act, and I think the, I, w- I thought the interactions between Pinhead and um, and Kirsty were more interesting than Inferno. They kind of yeah. felt more like the mythology to me than than sort of Pinhead just popping up, you know, to annoy this bloke or you know torture, you know cause this man grief um it kind of felt more like a long you know part of the lot the bigger sort of universe of hellraiser to me um so i'm gonna give this a five out of ten uh, i thought it was okay um uh could have been better but i had a sort i had a solid third out but i was kind of a bit perplexed and a bit bored in, in acts one and two um okay let's go Inter- to the- interestingly this apparently hellseeker was the last Hellraiser film to have any involvement from Clive Barker himself, right? So I think he he well, he didn't write this obviously, but he he was involved on a kind of uh, I guess a consulting yeah point I, of view. But this was the last one with Clive Barker on this. A- apparently they did. No, apparently. Let's let's just be clear. What happened was they oh they pulled him in now and again and said, "Could you give us a few suggestions?" Ah, and because okay. he's not a diva, he said. Okay, you could do the, you know, you could try this. Or don't forget about this point. And I think actually, both him and Doug Bradley, uh, the input from him and Doug Bradley led to the more interesting sort of setup between him and Kirsty about, you know, he's kind of not obsessed, but he's kind of yeah. fascinated by Kirsty. Well, that somewhat. wouldn't surprise me. So. Um, and th- th- so I think. I think it's more a case of Clive Barker's around. They give him a call. He gives him a few pointers. And so then they claim, oh, Clive Barker interacted. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, but that's the kind of vibe I got from reading some of the notes and reading Paul Kane's book, Hellraiser and its Legacy, which is a great book about these. They were The stuff Paul Kane wrote was way more interesting than the films themselves. There's a lot of interesting backstory on. I'm going to pick up that book because it sounds really um, good. It's it's you know it's I think a hardback uh, and Kindle. Uh, I've got the Kindle version, but I kind of regret getting it because it looks like there's some really nice pictures. And on a Kindle, they look like tiny little, you know, newspaper yeah, print nails, quality. Yeah. It's quite um, expensive, actually. I've just checked. Yeah, it is, uh, but it's about it is twenty a... pounds on Amazon. Yeah, uh, and I think the Kindle version's the same. Well, it's clearly out of print now because the oh, hardcover and paperback versions. Oh no, yeah. no paperback's about twenty pounds as well, but hardcover's really expensive. 
Oh, okay. I didn't know there was a hardcover. But, um, it, uh, and also, it covers the first eight films, not all nine. It, uh, um, and he hasn't gone back to revise them. And I can kind of see why when we, <laughs> when we get to it. Um, it is a good read because it, it not only does it cover the films, he does cover the comics and the shorts, which are kind of interesting. I'm going to Certainly, No More Souls. He talks about No More Souls and he gives some background on that. There's lots of really interesting background stuff on every, every film. The next one, 2005, uh, Hellraiser, Deader. Oh, Hellraiser 7, if you like. Deader. You open the box, and your soul belongs to me. Can't hurt me. You're not the first to say that. Going to a real life secret Hellworld party. <laughs> Welcome, Hellraisers. Invitations. <laughs> if you need anything, just scream. In this one, there's an investigative reporter, Amy, who's sent to Bucharest by her sort of editor, Charles, uh, to investigate the origins of a videotape depicting a rit- what appears to be a ritualistic murder and then a resurrection of a member of a cult that calls call themselves the Deaders. When she gets to Bucharest, Amy tracks down the return address of the VHS and finds the corpse of a girl tied up and she's holding a puzzle box, you know, element configuration. Uh, and Amy uh, returns to her t- t- hotel and open, uh, by mistake, I think, opens the box, uh, summoning Pinhead, uh, but and then that appears to be a dream, uh, and then oh man, it, it gets kind of weird. She starts visiting people who appear to have taken in over part of a train as a nightclub. It's really odd. It's really odd. Um, basically, she she's a reporter investigating this weird cult that can appear to be able to resurrect dead people. Why, <laughs> Mike? Was there anything you liked about this? Nope, not a single thing. Nope, nope, not at all. This movie. No. First off, why not is even, not even all the boobs? There was uh, a lot of boobs. No, I can was, find that in the internet. And I have to watch shitty movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about Carrie Wurra? Do you like Carrie Wurra? Uh, the uh, is that the lead? Is that Amy? Yeah, I recognise her from a few things. Oh God, she's terrible. Yeah, she was pretty bad in this, uh, and it's made me kind of rethink because I've liked her in other things, and it's made it's, this was so bad it made me think maybe she's not that good, and I just kind of fancy her, and I give her more credit than it's worth. That's what it is. She was in Eight Legged Freaks. She was the sheriff in Eight. She was Scarlett Johansson's ah, mum in Eight Legged Freaks. Yes, that's where I knew her from, uh, and I kind of like her in that. You see, I like that film though. That's a good film. I have a question. Did you guys notice that Stan Winston was a producer on this? No, really. Yeah, he's a producer. Why the f- out of he's this is the one movie he has anything to do with. Uh, that the one Hellraiser movie, and I don't know why this was the one. It's not like there were any big special effects in it, and I I don't think he worked on the special effects, but he's a producer on it. 
That's really, he must have worked on it. it it's weird. Why would he put his name on this if... He, uh, uh, Why did anybody put their name? Why wasn't weird. this the Alan Smithy movie? Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, actually, you know what? There were some things I did like about it. So uh, I'm not going to say it was completely and utterly terrible. Um, anyway, Matt, what would you, is, was there anything you liked about it? Um, no. Not no, actually, thing. no. So, okay, so no, I tell a lie. There was one scene in particular that I quite liked, and it was the scene in the bathroom where she discovers she's got a knife stuck in her back. And yeah, I that was kind of cool. I thought that was kind of really? cool. The white bathroom, the blood everywhere. It, did. it was. It felt uh, yeah, a bit I, meaningless to me. Well, at that point, but um, it was kind of cool. I think it was just there were well just moments in the film that were kind of interesting but as a whole it just it didn't work it was just a confusing mess yeah there was two there was i've made quite specific notes there was only two bits of the film i thought were quite cool um actually maybe three in terms of one ongoing thing um the first one was i kind of like the train for the euro trash it was ridiculous, but it kind of made me laugh because it was so ridiculous. It's like, yeah, that's like, is that how Americans think that, you know, people in Europe just <laughs> take over trains and have orgies? Is that how it went? Oh, that yeah, kind of what, made me laugh. I thought it was awful. <laughs> what the fuck was all that? What, did, does the government fund these trains running it was with all funny. this fucking madness happening on it? And it's like, why would you go to that guy to ask? Yeah. You know, it's like... This guy he, was annoying. He, he was annoying. Was that his name? Yeah. Yes, oh my God, some it was of that. so annoying. Um, it was kind of goofy. I, um, I also, I did actually like the final scene with the Cenobites uh, uh, and Pinhead popping up. I kind of like that. What I, I, there was loads of things I didn't like about it. Though. Since when does throwing the puzzle box open it? What was yeah. all that about? Yeah. He just throws it across the room and then suddenly the Cenobites appear. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it. Made no um, sense. I really didn't like the fact that Pinhead popped up near the beginning to sort of, or sorry, halfway through to give a warning, like he's some sort of yes, guardian it was angel. Yeah, wasn't like, it? Wow, stop it. You know, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it was this one. Um, uh, it, it was kind of, what? why would he do that? Um, um, yeah. Uh, I also, there was a third thing, which is really nothing to do with this film. Um, there was this reoccurring vision she had I think involving her father. Um, oh, that was horrible. Yeah. Really, no, yeah. no, no. Bear with me. I'm not going to say that Go was on. great. What I'm saying is it reminded me of a much better film <laughs> um, called The Witch Who Came From The Sea, where they do that much better and and more makes you feel really uneasy in that particular film. In the, it, it felt like they were referencing that film, but it was kind of really buried. It may have just mm. been sort of... A coincidence, but it felt like they were referencing that film. And it's never good for a film, a bad film, to reference a good film. It just makes you want to watch the good film, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, so there, there was that element to it too. Uh, I think I'm, we're all tired of talking about this particular one, aren't we? Um, Mike, what would you give this one out of ten? It's a movie that, much like. Uh, much like um, Hellseeker, but even more so, it's completely aimless. It's a mystery film that is – I don't give a shit about the mystery or where it's going to go. The, the This plot is so half-assed. Everything about this is half-assed. It's 
so boring. The movie was like 80 minutes long, and I was hard to get through. It it's was hard to get through yeah. the more. Yeah. It, yeah, it's harder to get through than most three-hour fucking movies. Nah. This is a two out of ten. This is honestly, I probably would have hated this more had I not um, watched Hell World before. <laughs> so blank. <laughs> Fuck this movie. So uh, two out of ten for yeah. you. Um, yeah, I think I agree with my, a lot of what you said. Um, Matt, what would you give this out of ten? Um, pretty similar. I, I'd probably, I'd probably go for a three out of ten. But to be honest, it's. It's just not, again, it's not a Hell's Razor movie. It was clearly filmed on a budget. Um, it's just really cringy all the time. Like, even at the beginning, there's that, that early scene where she goes to the London Underground newspaper and she's supposed to be in London. And they've, they, go, they go to great pains to make us think that we're in London. They've got, like, pictures of the Queen on the wall and the Union Jack. Yeah, that They're was funny. Not I forgot that. London. That was funny. <laughs> it's just really annoying and i think that just got my back up straight away I, I hate it when films try to pretend that you're you're somewhere that you're not I, I don't like it in films when people do accents and they're clearly not their accents that kind of thing so I, yeah uh, that kind of thing um and i just the story didn't make any sense they tried to tie it into the franchise with the whole kind of nonsense about this guy being a descendant of le marchand oh, but sure. It, it didn't make any sense at all what was going on. I don't know why he was able to raise people from the dead. I just didn't get it. It was just confusing. You but, know yeah, what it reminded me like of? It. Have you guys ever seen a film called Psychomania? I haven't, no. no. Right. It's from the early 70s. It's a, it's a rather wonderful but silly film. It's a British film where a gang of bikers figure out how to come, how to be immortal. And the trick is... You've really got to believe you're not going to die at the moment of dying. And that's it. That's their trick, right? Wow, that's clever. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's a ridiculous film. Uh, and this these, this trick here, kind of what these deaders were doing felt like that. And it kind of... But I'll tell you what, Psychomania is about ten times better than this. Yeah. It's a much better. Anyway, anyway, so that was by the by. Um, for me, I have to say this annoyed me uh, somewhat. I, there were bits felt like, but it annoyed me because it felt like it it felt almost pretentious it was like a untalented person trying to be pretentious made this film that that's what it feels like does that make yeah. sense it was kind yeah, of yeah, all, there's all this sense. stuff but it's got nothing behind it and it doesn't build to anything and it's pointless and it's not adding to the mood it had n- at no point ever was off i thought even a little bit sort of scared or you know, this was this was barely a horror film, really, uh, in any sense. It was kind of a mess. Uh, I did like seeing Pinhead again, though. Uh, but I, I even got annoyed when Pinhead popped up to give a warning. It was like, what? what the, that, he doesn't do that. What are you doing? Um, that showed like a fundamental, complete lack of comprehension about of what. Uh, Hellraiser is about. I, th- I felt like Inferno and the Hellseeker could kind of, kind of got it. Maybe not Inferno so much, but this didn't get it at all. Not at all. Had no connection. Uh, having said that, I'm I'm still going to give it a three. There there was bits in it I kind of liked. Um, towards the end, and like I say, I kind of liked the train full of Euro trash. It was it was such a WTF sort of. What's this got to do with anything? It kind of entertained me. <laughs> um, I think it was like comic relief. I was trying to get some comic relief. 
you know, and that, that's that's what I got out of it. Right, okay. If you're going to watch a film with uh, an underground train on it, watch. Um, is it's it called? What's it? Is it called? Oh, that one's good. Yeah. Which There's one? Also the one with Vinnie Jones in it. The other. Uh, the, it's uh, oh, based on another Clive. That's the one. Yeah. Which one? Midnight Meat Train. I haven't seen that. Now that's one to watch. I want to watch that with an underground train um, on. Uh, funny enough there was a post in I don't know if it was United Nations Horror but I think Kieran you know uh, who couldn't make it today uh, posted favourite underground horror films and there was various films on it. and I don't think Midnight Meat Train was posted I posted De- Deathline you know that um, British 70s right. one really I, I like Midnight Meat Train um, I need to see that it's got a, uh, a young uh, what's his name Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper Vinnie Jones is, is pretty cool actually yeah. Um yeah, definitely if you're into Clive Barker stuff, um it's it's pretty yeah, it's a pretty visceral, interesting story. I quite enjoyed it. Did, do you like do you it. like it, Mike? Have you seen it? Um it's been I haven't seen it since it first came out and I remember thinking that it was okay. I've been I've always been wanting to revisit it, but yeah. I remember thinking that it was that it was all right. Okay, uh, right, let's move on to the next one, which is made in the same year, or certainly came out in the yeah, same year. these movies one. were, uh, these, Deader and Hellworld were both filmed back-to-back, you know, like uh, The Lord of the Rings, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and... They're just like Lord of the Rings. I don't mention them in the same... <laughs> Uh, just before we leave uh, Deda, I have to uh, pick up something Matt said. Just so you know, Mike, everyone in 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 Britain has a picture of the Queen in their house. Just and so Union you know. Jacks everywhere. And Union Jacks everywhere. We we all do that all the oh, time. Oh yeah, and Big Ben, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, we love pictures <laughs> like that. That's like having a movie set in America where everybody has fried chicken, just <laughs> fried chicken and hamburgers on their wall. What you mean? You don't. Well, I do. <laughs> Actually, I have pictures from New York and San Francisco on my walls, so it's probably it's probably the Americans that have the pictures. You know what? I've got a picture of the Chrysler. And, uh... I have got a picture of the Chrysler building in my study. <laughs> so there you go. Um, okay, right. <laughs> Getting really off track. Now. Let's <laughs> get on with this. Get back on the track. Please, please let it finish. Right. Okay. Um, Hell number eight in this uh, series. Hellraiser. Hell World. Two thousand and five. Oh. Uh. Now, this runs with the concept of this gang of kids, you know, older older kids who are addicted to play a game called Hell World, an online computer game. Sort of Really, um, really crap game. Yeah. Oh God, I, was, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't quite work out what the game was, to be honest, but it's based yeah. on the Hellraiser series, so it's kind of meta. It's a bit meta, isn't it? Yeah. See, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, it was very obviously put... This movie was put together, the whole video game element, by people who've never played video, video games. games. It was made by a bunch of fucking 50-year-old middle-aged men who have never touched a computer. Like, they're yeah. like, oh, the kids are into the video games today. Let's... They fight uh, fucking pinheadies in a video game, and they all play it. It's exactly. I have to say that if you're addicted to this particular game, you've got way bigger problems than demons from hell chasing you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, It opens at the funeral of one of their um, ex-friends, I suppose, Adam, um, and they're kind of... There's a guilt thing going on in this kind of vibe they all get invited to this place called leviathan house um uh, it's worth saying that this guy committed suicide because he was addicted to this crappy game so he committed suicide yeah why Why maybe maybe if you played this game a lot you'd want to kill yourself 
Yeah, I wanted to kill myself after watching this fucking movie. <laughs> so there you go. There could be a film in now. Have you? People kill themselves after watching this movie. I wish Kieran were here to stick up for these movies. I really do. <laughs> ah, well, he'll have to. He'll have to send him food back uh, as a follow-up or something. He's listening to this right now, doing the Michael Jordan cry. <laughs> um. Uh, I've kind of I've lost the will to live now talking about this and <laughs> basically getting invited to this house and Lance Hendrickson's there as like uh, a spooky um, I don't know like a lurch type character kind of thing creepy uh, older man yeah and, he is uh, Lance Hendrickson that's, I have that's, to that's, say that's Henry good. Cavill's in this is he? yeah yeah he was he? Um, <laughs> Mike was his name He's the Was one that Henry Cavill? Who, yep, yep. The one who oh gets God. the blowjob and the mask changes. What? Yeah. What the fuck was that? Where he's getting a, he's getting his dick sucked in the middle of this club. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the sort of club I might ever get invited to. Yeah, I'm that. like, where are these clubs? <laughs> well, they're in the same place. The train with uh, uh, the audience. Oh yeah, the background. Uh, yeah, um, so that's Henry Cavill, and though he's, you wouldn't think from this film he's going to go on to better things, to be honest. Well, he didn't, really. Uh, no, not well, really. No. <laughs> well, better by <laughs> Oh, let's not get into Batman and Superman. <laughs> um, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember what happened. Uh, I, I kind of liked some of the acted from the people. I like the main girl. I thought she was a pretty good actress. She actually does a like a swing that kick Chelsea? at one point. Chelsea. Uh, They've all got stupid names. Stupid, yeah, something like that. She, do, cool she does a cool swing kick at one point. I, I can't remember who she kicks, but it's pretty cool. Uh, and it turns out it's a big kind of trick to... It's all a trick, but it's not a trick. But it's, but it's not all a, a trick. trick. But it is a trick. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. The fucking... It doesn't make sense. Oh, um, it's like this movie... It's like, because the whole time you're like, none of this has any, like, the whole series you're sitting there going, none of this has anything to do with Hellraiser. Then you get to this movie where he's, where Pinhead is killing people with meat cleavers, and you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) And then the ending's like, oh no, it really isn't a Hellraiser movie, which makes you going, well, what the fuck? Then at the end he's like, no, it is a Hellraiser movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's It's kind of... It's so mind-boggling, this fucking movie. It's, I'm gonna read the first line, I have notes here, and the first line uh, right here, it, it just says this movie is a crime against nature this is one of the worst horror sequels i've ever fucking seen i, I, think, I despise this fucking movie i think you're underselling it <laughs> oh mean, yeah how bad it is i mean <laughs> because i think we're making it sound like it's so bad that you have to see it no don't don't fucking do it my, my first my first note is fuck this movie <laughs> um what do i put let me see what my first note is uh I said, oh, I've been, I've been a way kinder. I said, this is an old self-referential movie that's a big <laughs> trick, uh, which isn't a trick, uh, and it confused me because Pinhead wasn't doing Pinheady things. Uh, that's kind of about what you said, Mike, isn't it? Really, uh, it, it wasn't. It, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of liked it better than Deader because it was kind of a bit more fun. Oh, yeah, no. I. It's mm. like Deader is so boring, or this is fascinatingly bad, but it is uh, a worse movie. I yeah. found this insulting. This movie, the way it tries to appeal to this kind of tweeny audience with all its, you know, with the crappy video game and the crappy dance music and yeah, kids oh, are into I just, MMORPGs. I just found it insulting. 
it's fucking stupid. It's so calculated, but in the worst way possible. Exactly. I think it's like you Maybe said, I'm just Mike. too old for it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> well, no, I think it's like Mike said, it's like people that don't know about video games have been writing about video games. It's also people who probably don't understand drugs think, oh, yeah, let's put a psychedelic as the excuse for all of this going on, you know, yeah. dropping, you know, next it'll be, oh, they're smoking the pot, you know, they're going to yeah. go crazy. It's it's that kind of level of, well, this and is And the ridiculous. worst crime as well, setting up Pinhead as a kind of Jason Voorhees-style slasher. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Luckily, it kind of got away, you know, it wasn't as terrible as it could have been because it wasn't really him being like that, was it? It was kind of, it, it was people on psychedelics imagine him like that yeah and the whole yeah. thing that's why it's so hard to say that this isn't a hellraiser like oh it doesn't fit within the mythology because all that shit in the first two thirds is all made up stuff in their head yeah which is even stupider though and then the yeah. whole thing is like it's we get stupid. to this conclusion where it's like oh it was this big revenge plot by lance Hegner- uh, henriksen but his his revenge his drive for revenge makes no sense it's so misplaced it's like Wait, why Why not go kill the makers of the video game? Why are you fucking killing his friends? They got nothing yeah. to do with yeah, any yeah. of this. Yeah, and, and the other thing you is... you were gone the kid's whole life. They established that. So why do you give a shit? It made no fucking sense. Uh, also, the level of planning was such that it was, if I give them a psychedelic, they'll imagine these specific things that I want them to imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, uh, okay Mike what would you give this one out of 10 1 out of 10 fuck wow. this movie uh, fuck I think this that, movie mm, okay <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you give it that much I gotta be honest it's because I was gonna give it a 0 but because like you mentioned it's so fat it's just so fascinating in how shitty it is I'm not, I can't give it points for being a shitty movie but it, it wasn't boring. I'll, like I can give it that, but yeah, it's still. It I, I'm gonna. It's a one out of ten. I, I can't give it anything higher. I'm giving it the barest minimum. The fuck. Oh God, it, I hate this fucking movie for even making me do that. <laughs> uh, Matt, shall I write? You know, write in the middle and then let you finish, Matt. Go on, Matt, for a change. Actually, you know what? There was bits of this I kind of took to. Uh, I didn't like the fact Pinhead was doing things that Pinhead shouldn't do. But but when it was explained, it was like I kind of forgave it for that. Um, I thought the actors were actually well cast. And some of the script, and I mean the dialogue, was okay. But the overall story was terrible. Um and I like Lance Hendrickson too. I kind of, although he wasn't used well in this at all, I kind of like him, seeing him in stuff. Um, it wasn't scary, it wasn't tense, but I found it fun here and there. I'd say I didn't hate it. I think it was even, I wouldn't even call it bad. I'd, I'd say it was like somewhere between bad and mediocre is where I put it. I'd give it a four. Wow. So, God damn. Yeah, I'm being a bit generous, aren't I? I hated it. I really hated it. I can't stand these kind of movies where they're just trying to be cool and appeal to a teen audience when, like you, like you were saying, they, they clearly don't have a clue what they're talking about. I just find it insulting. Um, so I'm I'm a one out of ten as well. I really, this is, In fact, I'm showing my cards a little bit here, but this was, for me, the, the worst of the worst. Um, I dislike this one more than the next one we're going to talk about right okay that's, all, that's interesting that's let's all get, i'm going to say for now yeah let's get on to that then hellraiser number nine revelations 
Are we rolling? Yes. Can you get a shot of downtown LA before we, before we say goodbye to it forever? Bye, LA. This is going to be an epic journey. There is no better buzz than a tequila buzz. That is true. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I'm going to take her home. She's going to be my souvenir. What did you do? I don't know, OK? I don't know what happened, OK? She hit her head or something. I don't know. This will take you beyond the limits. How much do you want for it? It's yours already. There you go. Your wife's wide. You guys never talk about Steven and Nico. Emma, please. What, please forget that I had a brother? Please forget that my boyfriend disappeared with him? What is on that video camera? Shut up! Ah! It's Steven! It's an earth. Oh Everyone, just stay calm. Two thousand eleven, apparently made to retain rights. Uh, apparently, not, yeah. Not shown in many places. It has been shown publicly, but only in a few places. Uh, but it's gone on to Netflix because that's what happens with films like this. They end up on Netflix. Didn't it, uh, wasn't it like written and filmed in a matter of a couple of weeks? Weeks, yes. Uh, Doug Bradley wasn't even a. I think Doug Bradley was approached, but. It, they wanted him to sign a non-disclosure agreement about That's it, right. and he didn't. Yeah, and what I, I guess he was expecting. Sorry, go on. Uh, what I read was that he read the script and said that it wasn't a good script or a bad script. It was just because this was the script we have here. It, it would, they only did a first draft because of right. time, and he said, "Okay, well, after you guys do a second draft, uh, I'll reread it to see how it is." And they said, "No, we're just doing this. Uh, we're going to rush this." And he he said, "No, he didn't want to do any backed out." That's what I read. I don't know uh, how accurate that is, but that's what I read. Do you know what? Given I didn't know that. Given that um, I'm not a fan of this film, but given if this was a first draft, it's not a bad first draft actually. I agree. <laughs> it could have there could have been something much more substantial out of the sort of things in it. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. Um, okay, so basically, it's two friends are going uh, having fun traveling around Mexico, uh, and they're filming themselves having drunken part. You know. Fun, essentially. And the boys disappear, and apparently the Mexican authorities recover, return their belongings, including this videotape. Um, yeah, and then like the families of the boys gathered together. But then we're, we're kind of getting flash. I'm trying to remember it now. Trying to get... We're, we're seeing it for real, yeah. aren't we, in the film? So it's not quite uh, a family. I think the, the, one of the mums is secretly looking watching the videos isn't she and yeah. so I, I guess we're seeing what she's seeing or something yeah, like but that i was confused by oh well, i guess at that point that they had found 
Because I, I thought that they had uh, the kids had gone missing, they couldn't find them. But I guess at that point they had found the, that crime scene, right? Yeah, and they yeah. found their belongings. Right, right, okay. But essentially, we see them sort of partying, and one of the guys, the more wild guy, kind of approaches this girl, and it's not clear whether she's a prostitute or something. And then the other guy, uh, what is it? Basically, there's a the girl gets murdered, and I th- I still wasn't clear on this. Did the wild guy actually murder her? Or he said it I was an accident, so. but it, I don't think we ever saw exactly what happened. We did, yeah. And basically, he says, uh, uh, "You got to help me." And then he says to the other guy, "Right, you're an accessory. You you got to carry." He's basically blackmailing him to carry on the holiday. It's kind of the thrust of it, yeah. Yeah, that made no no sense because this whole you're an accessory, I'm like, but that's such an easy thing. Just take the fucking memory. Those memory cards on those cameras are so fucking small. You take it and you break it and then you're fucking out. You're done. He was about to do that. It's all his problem. He was going to do that, the the other guy. And then the one who'd killed the girl grabbed it off of him and said, no, this is like my insurance so oh, you, you can't. So you can't. Um, you know, you can't. Uh, you can't get rid of it. I forget about that. You're right. Something like that, anyway. Um, but it was. It wasn't very. It was a bit weak, really. Now at this point, my sort of now, even though this is the film that I watched most recently, it's the one I'm having hardest time remembering. I'm kind of remembering bits. There's a, there's some cool imagery, for example. There's a guy. They they go back to one of the references in the first and second film of you know a blood on a mattress or yeah. blood on the surface, sort of recovering a body and sort of being able to wear someone else's skin. Well, these were the interesting bits actually, mm. where it did yeah. reference the um, the original movie. Um, I agree. The first two, yeah, I strongly agree because what I liked about because I marathoned all these movies because you know I'm a fucking masochist and I hate myself. (laughs) Um, And I think the reason I was so much kind of warmer towards this one is because it's not that it's a good movie, but it was just nice to see a Hellraiser movie that it felt like a Hellraiser Hellraiser movie. Yeah, Yeah, there was definitely Hellraiser elements. Yeah, exactly. This is well, if this was a first draft, I can see that it had definite possibilities to be a decent movie um, but, they, but they probably referenced the original movie because they didn't have time to do anything else but yeah, that played possibly. in its favour I think um, there are some really weird moments in this though for example um, the, the wild guy actually takes the skin of the other guy doesn't he and, he, and then he starts kissing his sister which means the sister is as far as she's concerned kissing her brother, her brother yeah. which is like, she's actually kissing her weird. boyfriend yeah that was really weird yeah. Uh, and then he start, starts revealing family secrets like, you know, you fuck my mum or I can't remember what it was, but it, it was kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like, eh. Um, and then it kind of uh, kicks off when the Cenobites appear. Um, so we've got a different pinhead, different actor playing pinhead. What did you think of this performance? Oh, I just wish he would have shut up. <laughs> he could not stop talking. Uh, yeah, he wasn't written. The writing on him just didn't feel like as as far like this movie does feel the most Hellraiser-ish out of all the movies we talked about today. But he's that Pinhead. The writing on him just doesn't feel like Pinhead. Like no. I, I don't even mind his performance. I mean, he did what he did. He did. Although he clearly did. wasn't British, putting no, on that yeah. accent. I hated that yeah, voice. That's true. Was he trying to do a British accent? Yeah, oh yeah, he was trying. I couldn't not, tell. Not I just thought well. he talked funny. Well, <laughs> you 
<laughs> it was all the one vir- you know I'm showing my cards here really the one real virtue for me of this film apart from the fact it was real it was trying it was trying to do Hellraiser Returns was uh, it made me realise how good Doug Bradley is yes actually yeah. uh, even in the terrible you know Hell World it was kind of nice to see Doug Bradley turn up um, but this was like so can I give you my my line of my on my notes on this film? Basically, I said it's better than watching Twilight. That's what that's what I wrote. <laughs> um, <laughs> I agree with that's, that. Yeah. That's not saying much. <laughs> no, it isn't. But that's what I thought. Damning with faint praise. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and it, it was a silly. This was silly, but it was a first. Uh, if I take it, this was the first draft of something that could have been developed. It it kind of, I can kind of see it could have been something a lot better. Certainly, yeah. if Doug Bradley had been in it and, and had a chance to have a go a go at Pinhead's dialogue a bit more, um, uh, and so some of the ideas were kind of interesting, but it just didn't work at all. It's way better than a one that you just knock out to be um, a contract. Sort of um, get around, though. Yeah. And said that it looked like they put effort into it. It was just half baked. Yeah, it was like it was like uh, it was like Punisher says to Daredevil in season two. It's a half measure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> got to talk about something else other than the yeah. <laughs> But there was just there was things in it like they could have done right but they just did them wrong like when 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 the cenobites are summoned and you know you in the um original films you've got that really cool uh, the, the tolling of the bells Bell, they used a different bell in this and it didn't sound as good it was like well, why not just use the original bells they sound better and they're the same so why do something different that sounds worse i didn't get that yeah it's yeah, it was just, odd. It was, yeah. it was odd they i mean they had similar actually the music wasn't bad in this um, if I remember, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering. I thought the music was okay. What did you think of this pinhead's makeup? I thought the makeup was all right. Yeah, just the actor himself just didn't look like Pinhead with his big bug eyes and just strange yeah. sort of sneery face. Yeah, he, I was going to say he just looked angry, didn't he? Whereas Pinhead's yeah. kind of placid almost, uh, except when you really rile him. Yeah, I've read. This guy didn't enjoy his work, did he? Here. So again? I've written a line on my notes here, and I can't remember why I wrote it. Go Maybe you guys can shed some light on it. I put, can Pinhead drive a car now? Did it, I don't remember him driving. Why did I write that? Were you on drugs when you watched <laughs> Probably. I was maybe <laughs> half <bored>. asleep. <laughs> uh, was there some scene to do with somebody crashing a car or something? With I don't know. There was something... Um... I think their cars disappeared. Oh, maybe that was it. I don't know. I can't remember. Or was it? Anyway. I don't remember really a Fast and the Furious road race with I'm just trying to remember why I would write that. There must have been something with a car moving, yeah. I'm guessing. Um, what did you guys think of the... Um, well, I've written... I don't know if this is the right word for it, but I've written proto-pinhead. So the young... Well, not the young pinhead, but kind of apprentice pinhead character. Oh, uh, Nico? Yeah, Nico. Yeah, where he became was it? Yeah, no, it wasn't Nico, was it? It was the other guy becomes. 
I'm kind of confused as to who it was. But what did you think of that? I thought that was actually quite cool. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I agree. I think the stuff between the two, because I think the first half of the movie, it's it's a bad movie, and the second half is kind of entertaining, mainly because I I like whenever we cut to the flashbacks of the two guys. Their acting isn't very good, but I, I like their story. I thought all of that stuff was really interesting. I, th- yeah. I thought it was entertaining. It was the best stuff of them. It was the most memorable stuff. It's even yeah. more memorable than the Cenobite stuff, actually. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, did you think? Do you think Nico looks like a young Val Kilmer? Just as an yeah, he did, aside, yeah, a little. <laughs> uh, and also, I don't know why I was. It doesn't actually look like him, but he was making me think of the guy that plays Kylo Ren. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, though he doesn't look like him really. Oh no, wasn't that wasn't Nico? That was the other one, wasn't? Oh, was it? Because yeah, wasn't it was Nico, Nico and Stephen? Nico was the crazy one. Stephen was the one with the long hair. Okay, yeah. Oh, and a bit of course, Nico took over. Oh, hold on, Nico took yes. over Stephen's body, yes. didn't he? That's what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and also the whole family thing at the end was a bit, you know, bit. Peyton Placey soap opera, you know. Yeah. See, but Revelations that's another. And... That's another thing I liked was because uh, kind of the first movie is very much this um, family drama soap opera thing, but with these hellish demon elements, and that's what's kind of really cool and compelling about it. And I thought this obviously is not as good as that, but I liked that the third act of that kind of brought it back down to that. I liked that approach to it. I thought it was cool. Um, I, uh, I think Mike, you'd like, um, Paul Kane's book, Hellraiser and its legacy, because, um, I want to read it. Yeah. He really does pull apart some of the elements, certainly in the, well, he does it in all the films, but there's some really interesting stuff he pulls out of the first film about the elements of, you know, this is a messed up, Married ceremony, you know, uh, things like right. that. And he's talking about the family dynamic, how, how, um, um, oh man, I've forgotten the name of Frank. How Frank is kind of a messed up version of a father, you know, come to daddy, you know, yeah, stuff like that. And he wants, he wants to be in that role a bit, but he's also sexually desirous of that, of Kirsty. And, it, you know, there's all of this is kind of teased apart quite nicely in that book. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Yeah, I need to check that out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Should we rate this one? Revelations. Yeah. Mike, what would you give this? Well, as I said, the I thought I was hating it in the beginning. Uh, but I don't know. I thought that, that the more it went along, it brought back in a lot of cool Hellraiser elements from the first uh, couple films. And yeah. I don't – I think a lot of people were telling me that this was the worst one. And I just – I don't agree with that. I think it's kind of – it's got interesting stuff going on. I think there's entertaining elements. But as a whole, it's not a great movie. But it's not terrible. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10 because I don't Ooh, think wow. it's uh, – necessarily a bad movie i think it's an interesting movie that with just weaker parts to it because there are certainly bad moments in here but i don't know as a whole i just i didn't think it was that bad mm, cool matt I, i'm i'm not far off mike actually i'd i'd probably go for a four out of, uh, yeah four out of ten for this one so out of all of the these remaining five movies is it yeah i think this would be my third favorite Right. So I like I like this one more than I liked Dead Desert and Hell, Hell World. Right. Um, I think it, yeah, like like Mike said, it's not 
uh, it's not a great movie, but it does actually follow the themes of the original film far closer than any of the other later post-Bloodline movies. Um, it's got some some quite pleasingly dark um, things about it. Um, I quite like the twist towards the end where Stephen's actually revealed as Nico. Uh, no, hang on. Stephen, Stephen's Nico wearing... Nico's, whatever, whatever. Nico's underneath. <laughs> somebody's wearing somebody's skin, anyway. Um, I, I quite like that. Someone's kissing his own sister as well. Oh, that, yeah, that was. Well, well, no, actually, um, the sister's kissing her own brother. Yeah. But it's not really. Um, the, the new <laughs> print, pinhead. The new pinhead was pretty awful. Yeah. Um, he just would not stop talking, um, and I really hated his accent. And but I thought the visual effects were really good, actually. There were some pretty cool scenes. Um, there was one scene, I can't remember who it was, but I think somebody's face was peeled off at one point. And then there was another scene yeah. where someone's neck was kind of opened up. Um, and there's also a skin guy, have you know, yes, the man's oh, skin yeah. was quite good. Yeah, yeah it looks good. On my notes, I've written, hello, skinless Frank. So again, mm. it's like it's a nod back to the original film. It looked exactly um, the same, actually. It did, didn't yeah. it? And I think that's probably because, well, they didn't have a lot of time to write this and to make this, so they they went back to the original source and they wrote something that was kind of based on it. And, and actually, I think that's, as I said, I think that's um, that's that's in its favour, really. So, uh, yeah, four out of ten. Uh, okay, um, when I actually, I did watch all these films, like Mike, I, uh, in a, like one long, rambling, horrible, drunken session. No, I wasn't drunken. Um, <laughs> and I actually rated this the worst, but on, you know, having talked about it a bit with you guys, um, I actually think Dead Art is, is, is the worst film. Uh, and Hell World has, you know, has at least the virtue of being a bit more fun than that. Um, so I'm going to up my, my original score was two. I'm going to up it to three, I think. There was bits of it I, I did like. One thing I will say, which I think I've already said, is this really made me realise how good, Doug Bradley is as Pinhead. Yeah. This guy was just annoying the hell out of me. I didn't want to see him, or I wasn't interested in anything he was doing. Um, and there were certainly bits, um, certainly in the the original, the initial Boys' Adventures, that I thought were kind of cool. Uh, and I actually think it's a way better film than it had any right to be, given it was like for a contractual requirement. It was the first draft of the script. Though it's quite terrible, um, it's it's not quite as bad as I thought at, at the beginning. And like I said, it's it's better than watching Twilight. So I'm going to give this a three out of ten. Okay, so that completes our look at all nine Hellraiser movies over these two podcasts. Um, now we're going to move away from movies for a little section, though we are coming back to talk about some of the uh, fan-made shorts. Um, and here is a segment with myself and Matt discussing the comics of Hellraiser. Will
The United Nations of Horror. Welcome back to the United Nations of Horror. An international podcast about all things horror. He emptied pubs when the show was broadcast on a Saturday night. It was literally that powerful. It was a sensation in the press. There were even questions in Parliament. And the more intelligent runners of pubs actually had to wheel in a TV to keep the regulars in there on a Saturday night rather than go home. A podcast featuring a group of hardcore horror fans from all over the globe. And so to watch that and to see how influential it was, this little-known film that I I knew nothing about, I thought it was really cool, and it still holds up. Each episode features a main topic. And our main subject today is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Today we're tackling early German horror, looking at the golem, how he came into the world. Der Golem und wie er in die Welt kam. A horror podcast with a community focus. Well, hey, folks, this is Anthony back with another TV terror entry. This week, we're talking Halloween. Salutations, fellow horror fans. This is Talisha Tarver, your horror librarian, here to discuss this week's book tie-in for the entity. The United Nations of Horror. Visit us online at www.unitednationsofhorror.com. So much ghost rape in this episode. We're kind of rapey, you know? Please keep that quote in. <laughs> yes. United Nations of Horror. We're kind of rapey. <laughs> <laughs> to this particular segment in our Hellraiser Part 2 podcast. In this segment, Matt and I are going to be discussing the history of the Hellraiser comics and get into some of the sort of nitty-gritty of some of the later comics for sure. Hi, Matt. Hello. Now, you've read much more of these than I have, so uh, you're going to lead us, I think, through this particular history, though I have read a reasonable amount, I have to say. Okay. So uh, tell us how uh, the Hellraiser comics started. Yeah, I've I've done a little bit of research. And um, basically, the Hellraiser comics started back in uh, 1989. So I believe the original film was 87. So it was shortly after the original, uh, the first two films, I think. And um, they were put out by Epic Comics, who were part of Marvel Comics at the time. And they output this series called Hellraiser. And there was basically just each of the comics contained a series of short stories. And they were all um, kind of inspired by the Hellraiser mythos, the Hellraiser universe, but not, not necessarily um, continuing the story of the films. And uh, they weren't written by Clive Barker, but he was brought on as a consultant. The series ran from 89 until 1992. So a few years. Yeah, um, yeah. I've read... Quite a lot. I I was kind of keen on this. My first taste of Hellraiser comics actually was through Bestiary, which I talked a bit about in the first Hellraiser podcast. Yeah, and we're going to cover a bit more in that. And I really enjoyed that set. And I yeah. just had in my head the originals were going to be of that kind. 
Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. <laughs> well, some some of them are okay. Some of them um, are okay. Yes. A lot of the first issue is pretty good, actually. I really like the very first story, actually. Um, I have to say, I like all the artwork. The artwork is not yeah. the problem for me. It's the vague. It basically needed an editor to kick some asses and say, "Look, yeah. this story needs to be way firmer than this." And yeah. you know, it just felt almost every story was vague and wandery and 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 kind of didn't go didn't resolve very well um and that's not true not every story but quite you know a large percentage of them that that's what what i took from it and yeah. i got to issue issue nine i just had to stop because it was like oh man i just really this is so frustrating to try and, and i'm kind of glad i read bestry first because i think if i'd have come to this first um, I would have just yeah. been put off Hellraiser yeah. comics um, and Bestiary, and in, in fact, I've, I've read one of the other series, which we'll come on to when you get to it. Yeah. Um, uh, are significantly better than these, yeah. and like I say, it's not it's not the artwork; it's the ed, the ed, whoever ha, the the editor needed a firmer hand with things, really. Yeah. Um, having said that, I'm quite happy to talk about issue one because I did like that. I reread that one actually recently as well. So yeah, the first story is the Canons of Pain, yeah. and it's set in the art in the Crusades, isn't I it? I thought that was really interesting. I really like that medieval setting, and I really like the way the story played around with the whole theme of religion and demons, and and so the the people in the story. When when they saw the Cenobites, they they kind of they thought he they thought they were they were demons or they thought he was Satan that kind of thing. Yeah, one um, of the things I did like about it is this recurring thing. As I've read more and more Hellraiser stuff, and indeed seen some of the films, more of the films, I really am. I really got firm in my head that Cenobites are not about the soul. That the soul is irrelevant to them, and they can threaten people with it, and they can do things with it, but they don't care about people's souls. They care about their flesh. Yeah, and that come through in this one too yeah um uh, and it's what, really what nice did you one. uh think of the cenobite in this one uh, it mean, was very different from uh from the other cenobites that we've seen i think it was it was unusual wasn't it it, it was, was kind the, it was of the, a multi-breasted large, yeah yeah that's it yeah um a multi-breasted thing uh and the breasts were almost like sewn on to the front what they were like plates kind of thing yeah and he had this uh, hook attached from one of the nipples to his lower lip so it kind of pulled his face out of out of uh out of kilter on one side yeah so. and he had a weird dog thing as well yeah. which is a bit like the chattering um hellraiser 4 there was a like a chattery you know the chatterer said about it, but there was a chatterer dog kind oh of. yeah 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 uh, it kind of reminded me a bit yeah. of that uh, it was very unusual and it very fleshy so what did you think of the of the look of the the Cenobite in this story. I thought it was quite grotesque, really. Yeah, it was very grotesque. It was kind of, um, it was a, like large, f- not, well, yeah, fat is, is probably like the a word. Big bloated body. Bloated, bloated, that's a good word. It was kind of corpulent. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, and it was a really weird grey body, but with like breasts grafted onto the front of it. And it reminded the- me a bit of Frankenstein. Did it really? Kind of, kind of stitched together. The top of his head was yeah. like stitched on, I think. And, yeah, there was definitely sort of scarification around yeah. his head, and it also also felt like the breasts they were they were almost like plates on it on on his front, and there was four, I think four. Yeah. Um, and and they weren't old and wrinkled and gross. They were like, you know, like, like they'd been attached. Like they'd been attached, yeah. and he had a weird um, like hook thing pulling yeah. his lower mouth so, yeah. both downwards and sideways which is even more grotesque like yeah. pulling his jaw sideways and i think he had a pin for his nose didn't he or something for his nose yeah, um, well i've done yeah and he had a weird dog 
thing. It was c- kind of a dog. It was almost alien esque kind of thing yeah. with great big teeth. And it was, um, it reminded me a bit of in Hellraiser 4, there's a sort of chattering dog. Yes. Um, yeah. And it reminded me of that a bit. Uh, and it was like how they dealt with this thing, how the humans dealt with this thing. It also wore a, a weird, almost like Roman legionary waist. You know, um, I don't know. It's not pants. It's because they were like tassels hanging down. Yes. Uh, yeah. th- that was kind of odd too. What I got from this was these these uh, these things were obsessed with flesh. Uh, yeah. And, and didn't really weren't weren't concerned with the soul at all. Um, and it was an odd ending. It was ambiguous, but in a good way. Yeah, kind of yeah. I I really like the way that he he was mocking the priest for thinking yeah. that he was Satan. I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, um, it, it, this one had a sense of humour. It's almost like yeah. an Evil Deadite kind of yeah, mocking, yeah. But, but he, a bit more intelligent. He still played by his rules, though. He he wasn't just there for. Um, just slaughtering everybody. It was it was kind of one soul for one summoning kind of thing, which is you know is an ongoing theme with the Cenobites, isn't it? They if if they're summoned, then they need to they need their um, they need their sacrifice basically. Yeah, and I also thought there was there was an element of guilt in terms of the people that called him or the way he was called. Uh, it was like they did it because they felt guilty and therefore they were expecting a demon, um, but he wasn't the sort of demon they were expecting. it's kind of fun um yeah so that was that i mean that particular story is kind of cool and the next story uh was pretty fun uh and this felt much more like uh, we're going to come on to it the bestiary kind of stories it felt much more like a coherent nice little story little twist in the towel almost like dead man's hand yeah sorry deb sorry that one was really really interesting actually because the ending was totally unexpected in that didn't do what normally happens in a Hellraiser story and that the Cenobites weren't actually summoned at all. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't know, should I, we spoil the ending? It's got a lovely little twist. No, that's not, in it. case someone wants to. <laughs> Say again? Well, I've kind of spoiled it already. Well, but... I, I guess, I guess. Um, but basically, it's a man playing the devil, cards with the devil. I mean, a man who's dressed up, who look, appears to be kind of possibly the devil. Uh, one of them gets dealt the famous dead man's hand in poker as well, which they don't, I don't think they refer to, or do they? No, I don't think they refer to that. They don't call it that, no. No, but that's what it is. Um, And uh, he says, "Uh, yeah, you beat me, so I'm going to reward you. And he turns up with this cube, so so you think the reward is going to give him the cube. He says, I'll give you the most valuable thing on earth if you win. That's right. And I shall do so by picking up the box, taking this with me and leaving. Yeah, that was it. And, but the guy he played cards with looks pretty happy, actually. I think he yeah. he kind of he realized. He must have realized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of fun. So he he got off lightly. He didn't um, uh, didn't get the hooks. Yeah, uh, the next story is um, it's pretty cool. It's about a woman who's obviously a bit of a property shark or something. Goes yeah. to this farm and there's like a a, a guy who's a bit of a simpleton there. Uh, but he ties her up. Then he's got a companion who turns up who's got someone's face. Well, he he's actually called Face, and he actually crops up a number of times. He does. In, in other um, uh, I didn't stories. realize it was the same character. I was going to say it, they seem to use this motif of someone wearing a face throughout various Hellraiser lore, yeah, but I, I, I didn't realize it was the same person. Well, I think uh. he is a character, um, or at least other stories have, yeah, like you say, have used a similar uh, Cenobite character with a. 
uh, the skin of his someone's face stretched across his. So, yeah, this is a cool one because again, it's kind of t- turning the tables, and you get a nice, yeah, meaty kind of ending. Yeah, it was uh, very eighties in its style, though, wasn't it? You could tell the hair yeah, yeah. cuts, the shoulder pads, yes. um, even even the style of the art, um, the illustration, the long fingernails. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the sort of statuesque, short, almost pneumatic woman. Yeah, in it, um, I, I quite liked how she was very, she was very clever and ruthless, um, yeah. and didn't sort of crumble uh, under the pressure when, uh, when uh, the Cenobite turned up. She's part of this. These occasion stories you get where they actually recruit someone into the Cenobite order. She realised what was going on, didn't she? Yeah, but um, she seemed to be a good personality fit in her own yeah. way, and she yeah. had that disgusting scalpel at the end. Now, the last story uh, was one I kind of liked the artwork, but it was one of those ones that like I couldn't really make head and tail. I mean, I had a vague idea what was going on, but it was kind of way too bloated for its own good, in my opinion. What did you think of it? This one was called Dance of the Fetus, and yes. it, I didn't really like it. I'm not, I think this will kind of come through when we're talking about some of the other comics, but I, I don't really like comics when the illustration style is quite scruffy and undefined. I, I, yeah. I, I like my comic illustration to be detailed and, and um, you know, quite illustrative. So all in all, I thought the the first book um, of this series was actually quite good, um, apart from the last story, yeah, which, which I, I wasn't agree. amazing. But yeah, it was decent. Um, but unfortunately, the, the entire lot kind of go downhill. There's the odd story that's kind of good, and I think you mentioned there's uh, well, not probably not on the podcast, but you mentioned to me sort of outside this podcast that they so they com- did a compilation of of some of the best uh, stories of this in a in a series. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, I think it called Hellraiser Masterpiece, I think it was called. Yeah, that wasn't until, um, uh, well, I think it's about 20 years later or something, 17 yeah. years later or something. So I've, um, I've read about half this series and I, I found it really frustrating, I have to say. It's kind of, there's a few good stories, but the, the all in all, they kind of uh, just meander around. Or it's really hard to work out exactly what's going on. Do you think uh, it makes it worse um, trying to read them all in one go? Do you think if you just sort of dipped in and out now and again, they would actually be possibly not so bad? I, I think uh, in terms of a ratio of readable to not readable, I think it's kind of quite a high ratio in terms of most of them are not readable. <laughs> uh, there's and and some of the some of the ones that are readable aren't very good. There's ones like there's one where a guy's a um, horror, a cruel horse trainer. And then it turns into the Cenobites quite like quite like him as a candidate, and it's like, what? What's the point? That doesn't mean anything, you know. um, You know, we want to see interesting things. A bit like the the you know the third story of the first one. That was an interesting take on how someone becomes a Cenobite. But these ones were they were most of them were very incoherent. and I mean, there's horror. There's some horrible ones involving child abuse and things like that as well, which was a bit annoying. Yeah, there was one in the second book. Actually, I did read the second book, and and um, I think it was Writer's Lament, where the he's got instead of writing a story, he's created this baby, and then the Cenobites mutilate this baby, and I just I didn't like that one. Yeah, that was yeah. The, basically, was, they were treating it as like the babies. He's 
model, his, his piece of work, his, work in yeah. progress. It was all right. Yeah, it was horrible. It was yeah, quite just, horrible. Yeah, I didn't like that. I mean, you know, we we can't we have to be careful because like hell, we're reading Hellraiser comics, so it's going to be horrible. But it was like <laughs> it didn't seem to have a point. It just was. No. Like, it was like you know uh, to use an old cliche term it was like torture porn that's how it felt <laughs> rather than interesting what the hell's going on kind of stuff um so in the i had a big problem with this series personally so uh, let's carry on with the history how about that okay yeah so um so this series ran until 1992 and and then epic comics they also published um some one-off special ed- issues as well and even some crossovers so there's actually i haven't read it but there's actually a hellraiser versus nightbreed crossover um, right. Oh, right. which I'd, yeah, I'd quite like to get my hands on, actually, because I, I quite enjoyed Nightbreed. Um, and I've actually read the... Uh, there was a new Nightbreed series that came out, um, what was it, about 18 months ago, maybe, two years ago, um, okay. which, I, which I quite enjoyed as well. So I'd quite like to find that, that, older, that older series. I, um, I personally haven't read... I mean, I've only seen the Nightbreed film, the, the new cut, though, not the, the uh, original. Okay. Um, and I thought it was okay. Uh, I'm much more interested in terms of... Clive Barker's film stuff. I'm much more interested in Hellraiser and Candyman actually yeah, than yeah. Uh, Nightbreed. Well, the Nightbreed, uh, the original story that Nightbreed's based on is is pretty good. Right. Um, um, was it? I mean, Clive Barker to me is kind of transition from being much. He his earlier works to me feel much more artistic. Um, uh, artistically, and now I've got to be careful. It they feel like pieces of art. Some of the stories definitely, whereas yeah. his later works um, feel more like an sort of. There's nothing wrong with them; they're very well written, but they feel more like an artisan doing them rather than an yeah. artist, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. So um, yes, and they also there were actually also some adaptations of the first and the third movies um, in in comic form. Yeah, um, that's cool. So they actually stopped publishing Hellraiser comics in 1994. Um, this was epic. And then there was a 17-year hiatus until Boom Studios, who are the current, they, they, they do the current uh, Hellraiser comics, mm. uh, they, picked, they picked up the baton in uh, 2011. Um, yeah. So this, this was when they actually reprinted many of the, the original Hellraiser short stories that, that um, we've been mentioning. But this time they were under the banner of Hellraiser masterpieces. Right. Um, so... So some editing was done at that point to pull together the the, the better ones, um, I think. Yeah, I, I mean that's good. I mean, there's probably there is some worth in these. It's just they they were so much unreadable. I didn't get through that many. Yeah. Um, I also kind of didn't like the editorial tone. It felt a bit like the Crypt Key. They were trying to do the Crypt Keeper from EC Comics right. at the end of it. It didn't kind of work. It didn't. Yeah. You know, uh, it was kind of a bit odd. So. Moving on from there, they actually then released an entirely new series um, simply called Hellraiser. This was actually a direct sequel to the first and the second movies, um, and it features Kirsty, um, Captain Elliot, Spencer, and Pinhead, and it also introduces Harry Damore as well. Yeah. Um, and it was, um, I think it's in total something like 22 comics, but it was, it was split into five four-part miniseries so um yeah i've read this probably read some of these haven't you so i've read all of them i've read all so of this okay cool so it's pursuit of the flesh yeah. requiem heaven's reply hell hath no fury and blood, blood communion yeah um now the, i just have to mention the very first episode i could be remiss for remembering this but i believe the very first comic had an extra story 
in it as well, which almost felt like they were trying to tag in the you know the vibe of the original series by having multiple stories, but that disappeared completely. That after, after. Every, that story, I believe, is only in certain editions. Ah, I've because read that I've one. yeah, so I've I. I've read different editions and then I saw that one and I wasn't sure if I was actually reading the right comics. And then I was like, hang on a minute, what's this? That's not what I was expecting. Um, yeah. Can you remind me what the story was? Can you I remember? I can't remember, but they're kind of being chased by Cenobites and one guy, they snap off his leg or something and use the bone and sharpen it as a weapon. But yeah. I can't remember any more than that. It's a really odd story. It's okay, but it, it it's not as interesting as the main story. Okay, I've got the, I think I've got the trade paperback and I don't think it's in there, so it must be in the digital copy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I like I like this series. Have you read yeah. this series? Yes, I have, yeah. I um, liked it. I mean, we have Kirsty, we have Tiffany, um, and, you know, we have Elliot as well. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to figure out if it was like a sequel to 3 as well. Apparently not, because it mm. was... Well, apparently it was it was a sequel to one and two, and it right. kind of ignores three. Yeah, okay. But it, it was co-written by Clive Barker, so it is it is Hellraiser canon. Basically. It feels like legit Hellraiser canon because it's like an yeah. entire story. And yeah. again, I'm not sure how much we should get into spoilers, but it's kind of um, you you could people are hunting for the Martian devices, aren't they, to close down the portals. Yes. The yeah. There's this. In fact, you, there's. If you've read Scarlet Gospels as well, there's very similar themes going on between Scarlet Gospels and and this series. Indeed. Um, um, very similar sort of. You know, in this in this comic series, there's like a motley crew of of. Um, I don't really know what's called. Well, the, the Harrowers. Yeah, the Monster Hunters, and then you've got the same in Scarlet Gospels as well. So it's, it's yeah. a very. It feels like a Clive Barker story. Um, it does. For sure. and it's quite good. It's quite a good story. I mean, it goes yeah. on for twenty episodes but they're not very long additions um and they kind of make sense and i like i like the structure of five sub stories uh yes. though it is one long yeah. story it's not like there's five short stories it is one long story yeah and they tend to finish on a cliffhanger don't they at the end so mm. to entice you into the next four-part miniseries um again avoided spoilers i also like the the presence of the significance of Le- leviathan Yes, yeah, you see a lot more of Leviathan in this. And um, kind of understand him, and you kind of understand... I'm I'm almost loath not to call him Pinhead, uh, the Hell Priest's sort of motivations, or yeah, Elliot's. Yeah. Elliot's got a real character. The thing is, I, I had trouble reading, was this Elliot or was this the Hell Priest? You know, <laughs> who's really the bad guy here kind of thing, good guy, bad guy. Uh, it was fun. I really yeah. liked this series. Yeah. I think it was... If there is more than 20, I've only read 20, and it was a complete finished-to-end story. I think there's I 22. Yeah. So you're not far off the end. Well, I thought it, I had read the end. That's the thing. Oh, maybe. Maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is just 20. Ah, okay. Um, okay, tell us a bit more about history after this set, then. So um, after this set, it then, uh, in 2012, there was a, a, a short four-part series released called The Road Below. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very difficult to talk about this one without spoiling what actually happens in the previous series. Um, um, yeah. Just tell us what you thought of it then. Uh, it well, it, is, it, was a, it was a while ago that I actually read it. Um, I I enjoyed it. Kirsty's in it. 
Pinhead's in it. Harry right. Devore's in it. Um, <laughs> I don't really want to say any more because no. I don't want to spoil it. But there's some significant things that happen in the first series, um, which, yeah, if you've not read it, is quite surprising when you actually get to them. It so. sounds like I need to read it because I'm kind of interested in this story. I didn't realize it was a continuation of the uh, the, yes. the 20 episode story. Yeah, it is, and, and, which I liked. And so, so then the series after this one also is a continuation of the story. Um, so that's called The Dark Watch. Yeah. And that ran from 2013 to 2014. And that was a 12-issue series. Um, and it's kind of the final um, epic showdown between Kirsty and Elliot Spencer, etc. So, yeah. Oh, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I need, need to read You need that, to read them sure. all. Yeah, yeah definitely. All. I'll have to get those. I'll have to get onto my comicsology and uh, get yeah. those, I think. Um, so, um, that brings us to Bestry, I think, doesn't well, it? Well, there was a, actually, oh, just, well, in, just before Bestry as well, there were a couple of one-off annuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and these kind of were just to fill out the backstory a bit more. So, um, yeah, just to keep the fans happy, yeah, I guess. There was, there was one other set that I think I saw on Comixology, or I, I certainly in research of these comics, I came across it, there was a set called Pinhead, which I don't know anything yeah. about, but I, I'm, that's something else to sort of bear in mind if you're okay. interested in Okay, I don't know, I haven't heard of that. No, I need to try and find it. I haven't been able to find it. Um, other well, than... I guess if um, if anyone listening to this is into the Hellraiser comics and they and they know of any that we've missed out, do let us know because we're, yeah. we're obviously we're fans or, and we want to track them down. Yeah. So. Or send in feedback and tell us your thoughts on those series. Absolutely. We'd be really interested. Um, okay, and that uh, does bring us the best story. Finally. <laughs> Um, now, we did talk about this in, in a bit of detail last time. I think last time we talked about it, we talked about our favourite stories. And you know what? Um, reading this set again, I, I really appreciate it way more because cause I've had yeah. to wade through some of the poorer efforts, certainly in <laughs> yeah. the first set. This one just really works. <laughs> Particularly the um, the story spanning all six issues, uh, The Hunted. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic. It's, it story. is a great story. Um, I think out of, I mean, this uh, apart from the spanning story, it's pretty much two stories per per episode, and then sorry per per edition, and then the spanning story. So in a, in all, it's thirteen stories. Um, and I think only one of them didn't work for me. The all of them worked for me. Yeah. Ooh, which one didn't work for you? I mean, one kind of was a bit of a foul, but I didn't mind it that much. There was one called Study involving a social anthropologist who was into bondage. Yeah, that was one of my least favourites as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it was okay. It wasn't great. Um, the one that really didn't work for me was one called um, Folie à deux, which was kind yeah. of like a kid's rhyme mixed in with a Cenobite story. Kind of a, yeah, like a poem. Uh, yeah, and I find it kind of tiresome, actually. Uh, but I like the rest. I mean, there were some weak ones. There was one about a woman that hoards that was... I mean, it was decent, though, you know. Yeah. Um, um, and some of them were a bit Twilight Zone shock ending or more like, actually, Night Gallery shock ending of, yeah. like, a scientist was researching it and, like, he doesn't realise exactly what's happening to him and you find I out quite like that one. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. It worked. It the worked. fact that even in Hell... You can go mad, and then there's nothing that and the then, Cenobites can do to you, really, after yeah, that point. And, and they're You've not, gone mad. The thing is, they're not interested in people once they can't get a, a, a reaction to yeah. what they're doing. They're yeah. just not interested. Um, so which uh, was your favourite one? Our, apart from The Hunted, I really like the old hat to raise the devil, which involves a, a travelling singer. Yeah. 
a blues singer that's made a deal with the Cenobites to beautifully get, illustrated that one. Yeah, wonderful illustration. That guitar, whoa. Yeah, no, I'd like that guitar. Um, great twist uh, as well. The the other one I really liked. Yes, it was a great twist. The other one I really liked was one called Puzzled about this. Uh, uh, yes. I think it's uh, possibly an autistic child who's yeah. obsessed with puzzles uh, and his dad has to kind of keep him happy by providing more and more complex puzzles until he comes across the Le Marchand cube. That's a really nice one. Uh, but that's yeah. a really that's a really decent I mean, like I say, a few of them were weak and all, all the graphics were weak, but on the whole, uh, the artwork pretty and the good, stories are pretty good. Yeah. I really like Pinhead in the hunted story though Pinhead's yeah. character really came through uh, uh, when they capture him and they're sort of sort of got him tied up and he, he's his words are almost they're almost Freddy Krueger but with more dignity you know he says yeah. things like if you're planning on torturing me I have one request do it slowly do it slowly yeah. <laughs> you can imagine him saying it can't yeah. you um, yeah uh, and it was fun I'd love to see it as a film to be honest, yeah, it's probably not enough meat to it to make it a film, but yeah. it's just it is, it is, um, it is um, Pinhead going postal, full postal, really. Should we, do you want to? Do you want to? Should we go through the series, through the um, the hunted then? Uh, yeah, let's do that one. Um, and summarize it in uh, maybe essentially some, some some key points. Yeah, essentially, um, a chap. You see a chap playing with a Leshmash and cube, uh, and uh, Pinhead. Uh, sort of um, appears and he acts kind of scared but there's a big metal trap falls on Pinhead and they tie him up with thick chains there must uh, be some kind of magic going on because when he tries to reach for the bars there's this kind of blue sort of circle yeah they've got some capturing m- mystical him, so, yeah, yeah they've got some sort of magic things and magic becomes an interesting I know it's not really tied up with this but magic becomes a significant thing in, in the final Pinhead story the Scarlet Gospels, yes, uh, quite significant as well. Well, uh, and also in the uh, uh, the, the twenty eleven Boom Studios um, series, there's quite right. a lot of magical, mystical stuff going on yes, there as well. Yes, there is. Yeah, um, and what they do is they've basically got a deal with someone for I think it's a hundred thousand dollars per pin, one of his pins. Yeah. Uh, so they decide they want all of the money so they start pulling out all of his pins and there's this nasty scene where they they can't pull them out so they have to it's gouge so them out. gruesome isn't it they have to gouge them out yeah it's kind of uh and uh then they burn him if i remember rightly um, yeah well first of all they shoot him with like machine guns and then they yeah they gouge out his pins and yeah you're right they set him set him on fire they, and... they pour gasoline on him and then they say have you got any last words and he says take your time <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's got some classic one-liners he says things yeah. like that was foolish <laughs> yeah. um i like there's one i will come to it but there's one where he's making a plan it's awesome but yeah um and basically one of them think without his pins he's powerless they can't see it, and they know he can't break. He tries to break the chains, and his arm actually snaps. Yeah, Pinhead's arm. So you think he's in a really bad state. I mean, he's burnt up. His arm. He's breaks. clearly not powerless, though, is but he? He's not because powerless. He's because still he, alive somehow. Yeah, he manages to. I mean, he's. But he's you definitely can see diminished his ribs a bit, isn't he? At one point, yeah. yeah, you can see his, some of his bones, and obviously his arm snapped off. So you know, um, and he crawls clear, but he emerges in uh, the Plaza San Pedro in Vatican City. 
I was going to say a nice a, a fantastic Catholic. moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ends. Um, nice Catholic sort of bent to the story then. Uh, yeah. And and the, the th- in the third part of the story, he staggers on um, uh, and uh, he, he goes into a fire doesn't he i was a bit confused here he 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 can then he basically goes oh he falls through the floor into like a sub basement or a sewer or something yeah and then he catches the smell of his own blood which gives him energy yeah so obviously he 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 keeps saying things like this is not how i die (laughs) Mm, yeah there's a bit of that it it reminded me a bit of badass really yeah it reminded me of a bit of batman in dark knight returns comic you know the I'm not today. I'm not going to die today. It was kind of yeah. a bit like that. Um, and then he basically gets to a place where he can see a deal being made between these mercenaries that have stolen his pins and uh, someone high up in the Catholic Church, like a cardinal or something. Yeah. Um, and they're sort of arguing. Uh, and the mercs are basically saying, you know, we want $100,000 a pin and there's 138. So it's $30 million. <laughs> and then the cardinal's going, no, we. We didn't want all these. We only wanted five, but I'll buy ten off you. We never, uh, we never know what they're going to do with them, though, do we? No, we don't. But obviously, the Catholic Church want them for something. Yeah. Uh, I think that actually might tie into the end. But so we'll come to that at the end. Um, but I also love in this Pinhead makes a plan. He's watching. Him, he goes, "Step one, retrieve what belongs to me. Step two, yeah. take back power. Step three, lay waste." it it was verging a little bit sort of almost a little bit too cheesy at that point a bit too action here luckily he didn't he kept the thing is i think it stayed on the right side of it by being concise you know and classy Uh, you know he didn't make stupid puns or anything like that Um, and i like the way he uses his um the bone sticking out of his arm as a weapon. Yes. Um, he basically takes out the cardinal, doesn't he? Yes, <laughs> straight through his head. Uh, <laughs> and then he holds on to the cardinal while the mercenaries uh, right, right. are all firing guns at him like yeah. a... Like a um, I don't know, like a Paul Verhoeven film or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then they start hunting the pinhead. Um, and does he emerge in the Sistine Chapel at this point? I, he, yeah, well, he, yeah, he does. Yeah. Oh, they follow him there, but they, yeah, he's hiding or something. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. This. Yeah. Um, and then they're basically trying to track him through the chapel, and pin. Now, obviously, the, so they've made this deal right next to the Sistine Chapel. That's so, so that might tie into why they they're doing the deal there and why it's, the pins are wanted. Uh, basically, he starts taking them out one at a time. So it's almost like. Pinhead does Predator at this point. He's just taking him out until there's one left. And by coincidence, he starts firing his gun and a secret vault opens. That's right, under the altar. Yeah, Yeah, Pinhead does it. So that's why I think the deal for his pins was being made there. I think they were going to go into that secret room. So just just to keep them, just to hide them away. Because this room has all these Catholic, you know, treasures, archaic treasures. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the things it has in it is is a Marchand, Le Marchand cube, isn't it? That's um, right, yeah. And then the guy's closing in on him and Pinhead says, are you ready? And then the guy says, I can't remember what he says, but basically he says, uh, yeah, I'm ready for you. And he t- Pinhead says something like, no, I was addressing my associates. <laughs> 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 so basically the, the Cenobites have turned He uses up. that word as well, doesn't yeah. he? My associates. My associates. I love the way he talks. Um, and uh, then the Vatican guard attacks. 
Uh, so this course, is in the final part, isn't it? Yeah, Pinhead's both. Also, I didn't. We did mention this. He's got all his pins back, pretty much now. He, he took. He seems to back. be able to like summon them. Like, summon like, them, and they go back. They just kind place. of come flying back. Yeah, to him. So, so he's back to full, full, full power, uh, and basically he says he has no. They have no power here, and he says I claim everything in his vault. Uh, <laughs> and he goes back to hell with the final thief he takes everything and then they're in hell in a certain room and we see the final thief hanging on this cross crucified on this cross yeah. and he says something like a better man had suffered on that cross than you yeah, like with, with far more dignity upon yeah. the very cross besides so obviously, your Jesus. suffering has not even begun <laughs> yeah. uh, and then Pinhead says one of his about I think it's um the, the lady one with the throat thing. I, I can't remember exactly. But one of his more familiar celebrants, one we've seen before, he says I, that he likes the decor for the new bestiary. That's all right, yeah. And there we go. That was a, that was a really solid story, really. Did you Probably notice... my favourite story outside the, uh, you know, the um, films. Yes. Yeah, it was really good. Um, did you notice that one of the Cenobites was actually the autistic boy from the story Puzzled? No. Nice, nice. He's touch. actually, yeah. He was carrying uh, when they're leaving the Vatican with all of the um, all of the artifacts. One of the Cenobites is that is that boy. Cool. That's yeah. a really nice. I touch, love the way that it? tied in. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's a nice touch. So this, I mean, that kind of winds up the comics for us. Um, it does. Yeah, I don't um, think that there's nothing else after Bestiary, so we're just um, yeah waiting to see what comes next. Um, I personally, if for anyone listening and want to recommend it, I say go to the Bestiary. You can get it on Kindle and Comicsology. It's six episodes, and they're fairly cheap. They're very easy to read. Really nice piece of art. You will not regret. Buying yeah. these, I definitely haven't. I'm really pleased that I came across these because yeah. they're not like obvious or anything like that. It's like, oh, there they are, you know. Um, but I am also going to go back and get the other two you mentioned. The yeah, the Boom Studio stuff. series, yeah, Hellraiser, Hellraiser the Dark, uh, the Road Below, and Hellraiser the Dark Watch. Oh, I'll certainly get those. But um, the uh, of the earlier stories, it, it sounds like the masterpiece is probably worth. I would say, yeah, pick up masterpieces, at. and you'll get a, a good selection of those earlier stories. Yeah, but um, otherwise, um, don't go into the longhand one if you can help it. <laughs> the long early ones if we can help it yeah um okay i think we kind of wound up for this section i yep. really uh, if anyone wants to write in and talk about the comics especially the ones we didn't get to we'd really be interested i think in, Absolutely. in hearing about those okay we're going back now to the main podcast on hellraiser Okay, so there was our thoughts on the Hellraiser comics. We'd really like to hear any feedback from anyone uh, about these comics, especially about the ones we didn't get around to discussing because we haven't read them. Uh, we're kind of interested in the Hellraiser comics. There's, there are some really good comics, uh, Hellraiser comics, as well as some poor ones too. So um, now we're going to talk about the fan shorts. This is just going to involve uh, Matt and myself. Uh, and we, I actually uncovered, I think, four um, fan-made shorts uh, yeah. on YouTube, uh, and you watched them all, haven't I, you, Mike? Yeah, I'd seen two of them before, but um, 
two of them I hadn't seen before. Actually, so, yeah, I'm not it was sure. Interesting to watch. I'm not sure one is a fan made short, but the last yeah, one we're going to yeah, discuss origins. Not, I'm yeah. not sure it is that, but the first one is No More Souls. Yeah. Now, just so you know, this one is covered in Paul Kane's book, Hellraiser and Its Legacy. Uh, he talks about this particular one in quite some detail. There's some in- interesting technical background about it. Um, what did you think of this one? I thought it was really interesting, actually. Um, no, am I right in thinking it was made by the guy who's done a lot of the special effects for yes. the Hellraiser movies? Yes, I believe it was. I can't remember the specific details. Was, was he actually how, uh, Pinhead in this as well? He, I believe he was, yes. Okay. Um, he certainly had the mask uh, yeah. and used it. Uh, and I, it looks like, I mean, a lot, a lot of it looks, I mean, it obviously wasn't Doug Bradley talking, no. but I think he does a good turn as Pinhead. Yeah, certainly uh, much better than um, the guy in Revelations. Yeah, yeah, that was terrible. Uh, yeah. And I kind of like he's talking about, you know, in the, he's basically talking about nuclear war. It's a great war. premise, isn't it? Nuclear war destroys the human race. What do the Cenobites do? Yeah, this is no a, more souls. No yeah. more souls to harvest. So he's kind of old and tired and nothing left to do. He's a beaten down pinhead, basically. He he doesn't know what else to do and he's got people that rely on him and he's kind of aware of this. So he just talks about it. Now, I'd watched this before and thought it was about 10, 15 minutes, but in fact, it's very brief. It's very brief. Uh, Yeah. And something to what I mean, this is this is better than the last five films. Let's put it that way. <laughs> this yeah. is more more Hellraiser than those five films put together. Actually, it, it felt like one of the stories from the comics. Actually, um, a nice yes. little extension to the um, to the the Hellraiser universe. Yeah, it felt genuine. I'd agree with that. Yes, it was. It was. It was uh, definitely worth seeing. I'm I'm glad to have seen it again. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's what I think I suggested right at the beginning of talking about Airways 2, we should include this particular one. Yeah. But in looking, just scanning YouTube, I found a few more. Uh, let's just quickly skim through those. The second one, another one I found was one called Bloody Baby, which is a French, I think, French one. It, it didn't might come be Belgian, subtitles. actually. Oh, Belgian. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it had subtitles, so you had to kind of pick up what was going on, you know, through visuals rather than spoken but i don't think that mattered it was basically a photographer kind of comes across a i think a masturbating woman i'm not quite sure yeah and she's a bit kinky this one it is kinky uh actually researching all of this made me realize how much hellraiser's part or or utilized shall we say by the snn community it's Ah, kind of that's really interesting which i didn't realize Um, i did did write actually of my notes here that i I got the feeling they were all taking it a little little seriously, seriously and that they probably actually spend their spare time doing this kind of thing. And I think it is. And I think What's Your Pleasure is even more like that. In fact, yeah, it's yeah. something very odd about that one. Anyway, Bloody Baby is basically uh, this woman kind of... It's a kind of a siren story. She seduces him to go into this house. And there is one cool shot in it where I think a Cenobite appears behind the man... I can't remember the details now, but right. it kind of appears and it's kind of cool. But then more Cenobites who don't look very... Uh, some of it's all right and some of it isn't. But basically, they're they're having... These couple are having sex and then she ends up pregnant. And then does she, Now, does she kill him at the end? Um, or do we not see that? I think we see blood. I was trying to figure out what... So she gets pregnant, but what's that got to actually do with the box? With I have no idea. 
I did, I didn't, um, that's what I didn't really get. Yeah. The last scene, the you see her holding didn't... her pregnant belly and she's kind of reaches out and touches the puzzle box. And But I didn't really get the connection between... So nah. the Cenobites turn up while they're having sex, but... Well, I assume that she's cut a deal them? with the Cenobites. Say again? Who summoned them? Did she summon I don't them? know. I have a feeling she'd... Summon... What I felt was... What do they made... get out of it, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling she'd, have she'd summon them just before and it was some sort of deal. But I don't... It's almost like she was doing something for the Cenobites. It's like... Well, you get the impression that she's this baby is conceived for the Cenobites or something, but uh, that yes. doesn't make any sense. I mean, so... the fact is, uh, maybe it made more sense if you understood... You Probably. know what yeah. what was say what was said, but we didn't. It wasn't very yeah. good. It really wasn't very good. But it was better than the next one, which is what's your pleasure, which was very God, yes. basically it's just <laughs> terror. Really, really terrible acting. Really, well, this wasn't terrible. really a film, was it? It was just an excuse to show somebody actually hanging, hanging. on hooks. Yeah, there was someone hanging For on real? The hooks, and then that person was interviewed by this woman uh, about why she does it, and it. It wasn't their dialogue about it wasn't interesting, and they were terrible act actors. So it it was pretty poor. Yeah, the, the uh, acting was pretty bad. The, yeah. the vagrant was just kind of sort of gibbering and mad. Whereas in the films, he's much more. Well, he doesn't really have much of a character at all. He's just kind of the person who he's gives there. the box and then takes the box away when everything's ended. Yeah. Whereas in this, he was kind of this sort of gibbering, mad, apish type figure. It was just a bit weird. Yeah, it was weird. It, it didn't. It, not worth seeing. Um, and then finally, we get to Origins, which isn't a fan made. It's it's no. it, It's like a tra- a teaser it, trailer. It was, a, it was a pitch, a pitch for a movie that right. that, that, that never got made. Uh, basically, it's Pinhead surrounded by the Damned. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Uh, a, and this ties back a lot to what we've read, we to some of this stuff in like the Scarlet Gospels and yeah. in the comics, um, particularly yeah. Bestry issue one. Um, yes. Kind of made me yeah, think that's of that. a very good point. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and I liked it. I thought it was really cool. It be if, if you saw that in the cinema, you think, yeah, I'm going to go and see that. I really like this. Yeah. I thought this was fantastic stylish wasn't it it was very stylish. very very stylish the, the i love that panning shot at the start where it just kind of pans over these writhing blood covered bodies you can hear everybody screaming and moaning in in agony and then it kind of pans up and the hellraiser's uh, hellraiser and um, pinhead is kind of stood there like some kind of god in front of this enormous throne-like sculpture. I just thought that the imagery was fantastic. It was really nice. They it reminded really me of it. 300, actually. You know the film 300? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do, yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. It's got that kind of palette, hasn't it? Yeah. In fact, I, I did a little bit Zack of research Snyder. on this. <laughs> I did a little bit of research on this because I, I really liked it. And so the guy who kind of art directed it and did the character design is, a guy, is an artist called Paul Gerard. Right. Um, and he has produced this book of his own artwork, which has a section on um, his vision for the, the Cenobites for this movie, but also um, lots of his other artwork. And it's a fantastic um, art book. You can buy it off his website in PDF format for about a fiver. It's really, really worth getting. His, uh, his artwork is fantastic. Um, and he's actually done character design for a few other films as well. Um, 
things like Wrath of the Titans and um, I think he designed some of the characters for the 2014 Ninja Turtles movie as well. I think oh, he right. designed Shredder and things like that. So he's fairly well known in the in the film world. Um, and I I love his style. It's just so well. You can see yeah, for, if, you, really if you nice. watch this origin short short um, trailer, I suppose you'd call it. Um, yeah. It's it's really good. But what did you think of Pinhead in this? Because obviously it's not Doug Bradley, and it's actually a very different style or, or quite. No, a different I like it. It's kind of elegant. I think he's got he's got fewer pins in his head and they're bigger. Yeah, they're um, they're, they're um, yeah. I mean, it was different. It reminded me a bit of another story I've read uh, where it, there's a centre by. I can't remember which one. It, it might have been be- no, it wasn't Bestry, but it's a centre by a bit like Pinhead, but it's not Pinhead. But his 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 um, pins are bigger and they're like more like yeah. a crown. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of reminded me of that. I, I wish they'd it. made this movie. This should have been Hellraiser Revelations, <laughs> but, but for whatever reason, the whoever owns the rights to Hellraiser didn't want to make this one. Mm. Um, so it's a real shame. But, I can um, definitely see Stalin Wrath of the Titans, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of looks like that. There's a yeah. few other. It kind of made me think of. I want to say Dark City, but it's, uh, I'm trying to think. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, they went a little bit overboard on the J.J. Abrams lens flare, though, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I like this one. It, it looked like a good trailer. Uh, and it says the production process on it took two and a half years from concept art to premiere. I can believe it. I mean, it's really, really well put together, really polished. Um, there's a comment here that makes me laugh on uh, Wikipedia about this it says um, so it took two and a half years and and didn't happen and this left some to speculate that the the reboot of Hellraiser franchise is stuck in development hell uh, that's uh, very funny (laughs) that seems appropriate (laughs) and of course the other um, the other director who was penned to do a Hellraiser reboot was the um, Pascal Laugier who right. did the original French Martyrs movie. Wow. Now, yeah, well, that, that would have been special, yeah. but he pulled out due to artistic differences or something. His vision for Hellraiser wasn't the vision. I, th- I think they wanted him to just do the kind of rights Design. holder yeah. kind of thing, just churn something out quickly, and he didn't want to compromise his artistic vision. But that mm. is a Hellraiser movie I would have wanted to see as well. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. Right. I'm so let's... sick of them churning out this rubbish please just do something good. i mean there are discussions of uh a hellraiser i mean there's a hellraiser reboot in either production or i think it's moved along a fair bit but there's also talk of a hellraiser tv series which i don't know mm, yeah it could okay. work could not depends on who's involved and how much they care about hellraiser doesn't it as yeah. always for any of these craved endeavors okay let's uh let's move on now we've got another segment. It's a literary segment with our very own United Nations of Horror Librarian, Talicia, talking about the story that started it all, Hellbound Heart, and the most recent adventure with Pinhead written by Clive Barker, The Scarlet Gospels. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. And ways to grow a reading rainbow. I can 
reading rainbow. Welcome to this segment. Uh, you, this isn't the voice you'd usually expect. <laughs> it's not Talicia, it's Mark. Uh, uh, Talicia's on with me. Hi, Talicia. Hi, thanks In for fact, having me. I should say, I'm on with you. This is your That's segment. Awesome. Uh, but I'm happy to sort of chair it and sort of uh, lead the discussion and so forth. Uh, now, what we were going to cover in this was um, Hellbound, the Hellbound Heart, the first pinhead story, the last pinhead story, which is Scarlet Gospels, and I have actually suggested to Talicia we cover one other book uh, that, uh, and she's happy f- for me to sort of mention it briefly, which is a yeah. b- collection of Hellraiser stories, which were edited by Paul Kane, um, uh, who who we are uh, having an interview with uh, in a later segment. Uh, and it's an interesting set of twenty-one stories by various authors. So uh, I'd like to just mention a couple of the good stories and kind of recommend the book, really. So let's kick off, uh, which is where it all starts, which is uh, the first story, Hellbound Heart, that became the movie Hellraiser. So uh, I've read this a few times. Is was this your first read, or have you read it before? No, this was my first read, and I actually ah. uh, watched Hellraiser before reading The Hellbound Heart, so I kind of, I guess I kind of came into it with a sort of a preconceived notion, but there were also some some interesting things about it that, um, you know, the Cenobites are really not um, central stage in the in the story as they are in the movie, so I mean, there were a lot of very interesting changes and differences, uh, some that Indeed. people probably don't think work but some that i think worked just fine you know translate it it works it, you know each in its own right is perfectly good you know as a book and as a movie so um yeah, yeah i mean i came was... to it the same way i re- i saw the film long before i read the story uh and i haven't read that much clive barker but just enough to know how some of his writing style just just enough you know the visual imagery right off the bat is insane i mean it's it's really uh and, and yeah i think the the movie did a good job adapting that but of course you know being the 80s and being a movie it's going to be a little different i'm sure in its conception but it's just uh just a lot of uh different themes to explore and you know it's it's a surprisingly and i guess i say surprisingly because i think a lot of people thought of hellraiser at the time it came out you know it's just you know, it's it's horror, it's fantasy. You know, people have a certain prejudice against something like that when they come into it. But it's really, you know, a lot of very interesting themes floating throughout, like light and dark, pleasure, pain, violence, love, and that there's actually not much difference between the two throughout the story. So, you know, you actually have to think a little bit when you're reading this book. <laughs> so Indeed. That- it's almost the same story, but there's the yeah. sort of differences in characterization. But the writing style is... is- a little abstract from the, uh, yes. it's not a direct narrative is it i consider it quite a, a nice artistic story um it it, do, it doesn't smack of like um you know just someone writing down you know this person went here and said this it, it, there's a sort of he has a certain really nice turn of phrase Exactly. But I mean, I think you, you mentioned that it's very uh, interesting, the visualization. And yeah, that's what struck me. And then, of course, reading a little bit about Clive Barker himself, he's also an illustrator and, you know, had like um, a lot of creative say in how the movie was. Well, was he, made. he directed so, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, very, very close to the visualization. But, you know, him being a very visual person and my be- me being a very visual person, I think I enjoyed that aspect of it because it, it did make it come alive. You know, whether that's a good yeah. thing or not in this nightmarish world but you know it's very very visual the language is very visual he had a certain term of phrases i say it wasn't direct he'd sort of talk indirectly about things 
but it wasn't pretentious uh, in that it didn't draw you to, oh, what a great writer this is, rather than pay attention to the story. You stayed engaged in the story fully. Yes. And it's only, I think it, it becomes more obvious how, what a nice piece of writing it is than with rereads. It kind of becomes more and more obvious that it's a really well constructed. And it's very spartan. It's very, you know, he uses short words, he uses short sentences. Yeah. Uh, but it really works. It almost feels like Shirley Jackson cha- channeling uh, a really sort of concise and precise writer like, I don't know, Hemingway or something. That's kind of the vibe I got from it. Right. It's it's very transportive, mm. for sure. I mean, that's that was uh, my feel for it because, you know, you kind of start reading it and it's uh, one of those things when uh, I think most of us, when we try to sit down to read, we have to try to carve out time for it, and that always doesn't work. But so it's it's kind of rare to find a story that when you actually try to get into it, actually keeps you engaged. And uh, again, I think uh, the, him being so visual, and yeah, and yeah, his word economy is you know he not no, no misused words like you said. I mean, it's very direct, but it's also extremely very very descriptive. So you're kind of pulled into this into this world and into this story. And uh, you're actually kind of like, of course, I think it's an omniscient point of view. So you're actually within the thoughts and emotions of all the main characters as well. So uh, yeah, just I think that's kind of what it's. So yeah, before I know it, you know, I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm actually finished with it. So it, you know, it's it's kind of rare that a book can do that. I think, especially nowadays, as easily distracted as we are. And, and I, I attribute that again, uh, say it a lot, but uh, definitely attribute that to the visual nature of the narrative. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fairly short book as well, uh, and it's got a real punch. Uh, the most interesting, well, in terms of people that like the film, the most interesting aspect of it may be the fact that the nature of Kirsty yes. is different. She's a friend of Larry. She's not a daughter. She's a friend, and I, I, it's, I've, I've read it about six weeks ago. And I'm just trying to. Remember. It's kind of. She's obviously got issue. You know, unrequited. She feels something more than friendship for him, I think, is the... But it's underground. I don't think she even realises it. Um, that's how I felt. Did you? Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's the way I... I mean, yeah, I think there is some sort of unrequited uh, love interest there um, with Kirsty, And, of course, the description of Kirsty uh, that Clive Barker gives her. Um, I think I think his name is... It's not Rory. It's Rory in the, in the book. Sorry, it's, it's Rory. Yes, it's Rory. Yeah, yes. And it's, but it's Larry in the movie, right. Yeah, yes. it's actually Larry in the movie. So that's, that's I guess, the one difference. But yeah, it's... Um, I uh, I kind of liked the the change in the movie making it the daughter but yeah in the in the book she's uh she's described as someone who has been used to disappointment and of course again going back to those trans those um uh, those polar opposites uh, of things that he compares. It's like she's uh, pitted against Julia. So she's compared to Julia like Julia is the great beauty and you know Kirsty would be sort of the frumpy best friend, you know, relegated to the friend zone forever. <laughs> for, yeah, for yeah no, it's, I think the change is good. Actually, it suits the film. Yeah. It does suit the film, it and, it, and it adds a whole layer of. Um, I mean, uh, Paul Kane, the author who wrote um, a really nice non-fiction piece about Hellraiser called Hell's, Hellraiser and its Legacy actually goes in quite some detail on some of the themes tackled in, in both the original book and and the film and he talks about in the film there's like a, a clear Electra complex kind of going on uh, and yeah. he explores that and it's a, I, 
I know that you're interested in those kind of um, subjects in movies, and I, I encourage you to sort of try and get hold of a copy and read it. it it's really, I, I mean, he has several chapters on just Hellraiser, the first, the first uh, book and uh, movie, uh, covering all these issues, you know, and about like um, the relationship between Frank and Julia is like a corruption of marriage. It's a reflection yeah. and a corruption of marriage, stuff like that. It's kind of kind of interesting. Um, it's a re- hell, go go back to Hellbound Heart. It's a really really good story. I think it's a wonderful piece of art, actually. That's how I'd I'd describe it. It's 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 as good as yeah, you know, a good story by Poe, say, or Lovecraft. It's it's up yeah. there f- with those for me. This particular one, I've read some of his other stories, and some of them are quite good. But I think this is the best story I've re- I've read by him. But I haven't read everything, so there may be better. But I really like this one. Yeah, I'm actually quite new to Clive Barker, and I've always wanted to read him, but it's it's one of those I just uh, never never did. I mean, because he, he came out with this uh, mystery series a while back, and uh, I was really intrigued about it. Um, and for some reason, forgot about it. But now that I've been reading this and came back and, and saw like the suggestions, if you like this, you know, when you go on Barnes and Noble, or Amazon, and so yeah, I, now it's kind of like it reminded me that there's a bunch of other stories of his that I need to read. So yeah, he's definitely an author I need to revisit. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, th- I guess the next thing would probably be the Books of Blood is the, is the next obvious. That, you know, okay. he's got those six books, uh, and there's some interesting short stories, and I've read some of them, and they're they're good. They are good. Um, I've only read from book one. Uh, oh, and I've also read the one that's Candyman was generated from, which I think is in book four or five. Uh-huh. It was just int- completely different from the Candyman story. Well, not completely. There, it has got the same general story, but it's different setting and so on. It's set yeah. in Britain rather than America. That's an interesting one too. In fact, I've got all six on the Kindle and just not got around to it. So I right. kind of want to. And then I was going to move on to his his more um, fantastic novels, such as Weave World. Pinhead in particular, and I can't remember what he's called in hell. He isn't called Penhead for sure. But he's got like a high... He's, he's kind of androgynous and he's got a high-pitched voice. He's not got that yes. gravitas that we see in in the movie that Doug Bradley does a brilliant job in bringing to that character. Um, but he kind of... It's funny, in Clive Barker's universe, he kind of gets that gravitas. And he's yeah, got yeah. it by the time we get to Scarlet Gospels. Uh, and also in the comic books that Clive Barker was involved in between you know, Hellbound Heart and, and Scarlet Gospels. Basically, Pinhead becomes the film Pinhead. You know, in yeah. the literal universe, he becomes the film Pinhead, in effect. <laughs> it obviously had an influence on Barker, and it, he's not above adapting himself to suit percept, the public perception of his character. Right. Uh, which is good, you know, I think that's a good thing in an artist to sort of be reactive in that way. Um, in uh, Scarlet Gospels... Uh, what I will say, I mean, I, I've read it fairly recently. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's strikingly, well, it, the, the world his well view of what the Cenobites are about and hell and so on, or is much better developed. It's much more matured, uh, and it's kind of quite a bit different. It, it feels quite quite a bit different. We get an opening scene where he kind of these magicians like these people of magic you know have studied magic and sort of trying to protect themselves he he kind of comes upon them uh, and lays waste pretty much except for one of them uh, and he does all sorts of awful things um but what he's after are, are their magic texts and their magic yeah. knowledge uh, and what it turns out is he's been gathering over the ages 
uh, grimoires and, and sort of powers for an ultimate goal. He basically wants to take charge of hell, uh, but he needs magic to do this. Now, this is kind of unusual because, you know, when you, when you see Pinhead and he appears from, you know, as if by magic when the box is the lament the uh the box is is open for him it seems like he's magic and powerful anyway you know it just seems that way but no he's you know he's a fairly minor character in 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 hell as it were uh but he's trying to move up the ranks he, he kind of wants to take power for himself and it's okay. kind of interesting that this is the 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 tack that is taken in in uh, Clive Barker's version of Hellraiser, mm-hmm. uh, I found that in terms of writing style, I find I found Scarlet Gospels a much more um, standard text. I didn't feel the artistry as much, well, hardly at all, compared to what I felt in Hellbound Heart. It was a much more direct narrative. It was kind of fun and exciting. Um, but uh, they had its moments, especially when he was talking about how he kind of seemed to like lift himself above the material when he was talking about, like, for example, buildings in hell, uh, what Lucifer had done, you know, built these massive structures that even for Lucifer's powers must have taxed him. Uh, and that's kind of really cool, all of that imagery. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, ultimately, it's kind of, it, it feels a bit more... Whereas I was saying that in Hellbound Heart, you felt the artist was there. This felt like the artisan was there. He was just finishing a story up. Uh, but there's some really nice touches in it. For example, in this, he's not called Pinhead. He's called the Hell Priest. But people still call yeah. him Pinhead. And when they call him Pinhead, bad things happen. He is He's not happy being called that. It's oh, okay. basically insulting him. <laughs> if you call him Pinhead, he's... he's, he's so it seems to me that in this world, he's he's called as an insult behind his back pinhead right, by people right. in the know uh, and he hates it he does not like it uh, and you're going to suffer if you call it to well one guy does call it to him to his face because i think he knows he's lost and i think uh yeah. the hell priest basically rips him to pieces well um I, I do know that in this like there there's definitely some humor i mean we get there in the prologue and they've you know of course there's this elaborate ritual with blood injected in dove eggs and you know, <laughs> cracked over alabaster pots you know to resurrect this uh, leader amongst the order of these magicians and of course he sits up he's in the morgue and they they're saying hey, well, i got a lot of rouge on you know and he's, he's wiping off all the makeup from the mortician so there's actually a, a whole lot more you kind of figure there's a little more levity in this mm, uh, you're talking is. about the style where they're they're absolutely it's such a grim and dark no humor at all whatsoever in hellbound hearts that i could see but there's there's actually a a few jokes cracked and you know some even a a few of the insults that pinhead you know gives to some of the magicians it's a little it's a little different yeah you're right i mean there's a little more of a a blitheness to it hellbound heart feels like it was kind of written in a crew you know a white heat of you know real drive and you know, I want to get this story out, whereas Scarlet Gospels yeah. feels like it's a much more relaxed, um, older, you know, more experienced writer who just, right. knows what he wants to put down and does it step by step. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different style. It is quite a radically different style reading the two books. The story's kind of interesting, and we'll, I'll get into spoilers for this uh, for the next, say, three minutes. Um, 
essentially, the story is there's a character called Harry Lamour, who's uh, another character that reoccurs in Clive Barker's universe. He's basically a, a sort of detective, but veers to the side of unusual, sort of paranormal or supernatural happenings. I think he's set in New Orleans, and essentially, Pinhead wants him to write his gospel to tell his story of how he took over hell. And he wants him to bear witness to this. And uh, Harry Lamod is not really playing ball, so um, Pinhead takes as a hostage a good colleague and friend of Harry Lamod and takes her to hell, and Harry goes in after her. So, in effect, it becomes a journey story. To me, the sto- this story reminds me most of um, Stephen King's Dark Tower series in that it's a set of adventurers travelling through a land where odd things can happen, uh, in a quest, in a, in an attempt to get somewhere quick, and basically Harry wants to rescue, rescue this uh, this lady that's been kidnapped by Pinhead. Uh, but they're travelling through hell, and there's demons. But what they're doing is they're travelling in the wake of Pinhead, and he's laying waste and decimated all sorts, and and or 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 created use magic to sort of clear his path. And essentially, he's going to the tower where Lucifer was last seen. Lucifer's disappeared from hell shortly after the fall, in fact. And mm-hmm. and, and Pinhead wants to get there and, and figure out what's happening and um, and basically lay claim to hell. That's his ambition. Uh, and he's gathered all this power over the eons, as it were. He's, uh, it appears he's been around forever, but we kind of know that he's come from a guy called Elliot Spencer in the First World War. But, you know, time might not apply in hell. So I'm not quite sure how that works. Um, and it's kind of a fun st- It's kind of almost an adventure story in that yeah. that respect. I'm not going to... I won't spoil the ending, but essentially Pinhead gets to where he intends to and then things happen. Um, uh, and Harry isn't entirely successful, but he's partly successful. Uh, and certain, certain events happen to the characters that are kind of change their change their character. They're going to obviously uh, change them quite significantly, um, and it's kind of fun. It's, it, I mean, there's a lot of dark thing, uh, things. If you read it and you don't like the first chapter where he kind of Pinhead does his business on this group of magicians, uh, you probably won't like the rest. But that is mostly the strongest meat of the of the book. After that, it becomes a, a more sort of straightforward adventure. And it was kind of fun. Some of the characters felt a little underwritten and, and, and um, they weren't that distinct. But these main characters were, were fine. Uh, and, I mean, Clive Barker specifically said, this is going to be last Pinhead's adventure. I'm killing him. So... <laughs> You know, it's kind of that's kind yeah. of spoil it in reading, but you know, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Um, so we get some interesting things. You know, Pinhead um, has some interesting interactions with Lucifer. Uh, now, Lucifer might be dead, he might be not. I'm not going to say, but uh, there's some interesting stuff when he gets to where he needs to go. That, that's kind of fun, and 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 like the the um, literary Lucifer's kind of an interesting character, you know, uh, all round, and is a subject in his own right. So I'm not going to get into that. So I, I kind of liked it, and it, but it, I did find it significantly different in terms of writing style and 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 what you felt the the writer was why the writer was writing this, um, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of good. I wonder a little of some of his influences, Clive Barker's influences. I've, I've read that he actually is 
highly influenced by the Bible as to whether or not he's a religious person, I don't know. But it's uh, you can definitely see some other mythologies at work there, like uh, Milton. You kind of think of uh, yeah. wanting to take over hell and the Orpheus legend of you know the love interest brought down to hell and Orpheus goes to save her. So and he, um, that's he a can't good. That. that is yeah. a good pick that I hadn't picked up on. Yeah, this tower. Has got an Orpheus Orf- vibe to it, actually. Yes, and indeed, the Lucifer presented is very Milton, very, yeah. <laughs> very. I just recommend Scarlet Gospels. It is one to read, and it kind of ties in a lot to some of the comics that Clive Barker was dealing with. Yeah, there are comics with Hellraiser where he was involved, some some where he weren't wasn't involved, and, and where he was involved, they kind of tie into this universe. And a few of the ones where he wasn't involved also tie into it. So I think people knew the kind of universe and wrote stories appropriate to that universe. Right. So it's not a million miles away. Um, so it's kind of cool. Right. In terms of literary, I just wanted to mention briefly one other sort of literary thing, uh, which is uh, there's a collection of Hellraiser stories, short stories, written by other authors, so non-Clive Barker, uh, edited by... One of the editors is Paul Kane, who's the uh, the chat we're going to be interviewing uh, later in this podcast. Uh, and it's 21 stories uh, involving various aspects. Uh, and now that I've read quite a lot of comics and I've read these books, I can kind of see the interactions uh, and some of the stories sort of... Um, interact now there's 21 i'm not going to go through the 21 but i'd like to mention a few uh where the uh, where i think it's kind of cool um there was one story called the confessor's tower by an author called sarah pimbera which is set in medieval times where basically uh, uh there's a young boy being raised who's an orphan who's no who hasn't got a tongue and, he, and there's stories about his own mother cutting out his tongue uh or there's an alternative story where a wolf had ripped out his tongue and his mother had killed the killed the wolf mm-hmm. and then gone mad so he didn't know what was behind him but he worked in this village you know he was mute uh, and he gets taken to this and the thing is, no matter what gets told to him, um, he he doesn't react. He kind of just takes it in. So people start telling him stories. And he finds what happens is, as they tell him stories, bad things then happen to him. So confessing to him ha- precipitates something. Um, and it's that's, that's kind of not the main story. That's just the one aspect of it. And then he gets taken to this lord's house and who appreciates him because this guy's really debauched but he has this silent witness who just does things he's asked to do and never seems to judge but then this this um lord also had his finds out mentions that he had his mother there and like entertained her for many days she he keeps mentioning she entertained us all she could really take it and she enjoyed it and stuff like this but this boy doesn't in, react uh, and in the end, it turns out that, um, you know, the Cenobites turn up and they recognize this boy is really has a, is a, a has the soul of a, a Cenobite and he becomes part of the order, which is really cool. Really cool. Oh. Uh, and he becomes called Arcady the Confessor as a, as a Cenobite, um, mm. which ties into another one of the short stories in a comic book in the Hellraiser Bestry series, there's there's an autistic boy that's obsessed with puzzles, and in, in that scene, in a similar way, he's got the soul of a Cenobite, uh, and they recognise the quality in his soul would make him suitable to be a Cenobite. So there's like a recruitment drive, you know, in different stories. There's a recruitment. It's kind of cool. That's a, that's kind of a nice one. Um, I'll just see if I can find one of the one or two of the others. Um, there, 
there's all sorts. They're they're really kind of interesting. A couple of them are a little cryptic, but I really enjoyed it. One that I thought was really interesting, but it does border on being a sort of story of sadomasochism. Uh, and it's interesting, if you start looking into Hellraiser stuff, you find that in the S&M community, Hellraiser's kind of got a lot of fan fiction, <laughs> which doesn't well, surprise know, me. It doesn't. I mean, I actually heard a, um, an interview that Clive Barker gave, and he said, you know, after you know Hellraiser and the movie in particular came out, he said he had uh, Pinhead started getting a lot of fan mail. Right. <laughs> so I don't think, you know, again, going back to what you said about his uh, just adapting to the public tastes, like I don't even think he expected to... For for this reaction and for people to have this reaction to this character and this this disgusting character as well, which is yeah. really reprehensible. But yeah, he has like fans. <laughs> he does have fans. There was another one which I'm, I'm not going to spoil the story, but it involves a nun in a nunnery. I think again in medieval times, but it's not entirely clear. The reason I think it's medieval because there's a lot of self scourging, you know, um, self flagellation. Yeah. If you know to to keep their thoughts pure, which is a medieval thing, obviously, and and it's about this nun that keeps having impure thoughts, uh, and she's like she keeps trying, and she acts really virtuous all the time, all the yeah. time. But on the inside, she's like seething with these passions, can't stop thinking about stuff. And it's called Sister. S- I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's C. I L I C E, so Silicy maybe I'm not sure by by a writer called Barbie Wild, which could be a pen name, you know, given the material, um, and she's wears a, like this brace around her leg that's got spikes pointing inwards, so she's constantly in pain. And the point of that is, you know, the the Catholic point of that is to always remember the pain of Christ. But in fact, it's kind of trying to make her feel pure, but actually she's getting a kind of kick from it. And right. she, and she's, I think she finds she finds an ancient text and reads about the Cenobites, and at that point she decides she'd really like to be a Cenobite. It would really <laughs> suit her. I won't spoil it by any more, but it's a great read. It's a really great read. Um, and finally, I'll mention one other. Let me let me just find one. Um, there's one involving these group of people that are being kept prisoner. Uh, and tortured and made subjected by to awful things by their captors, which is like these three people that are their captors. I think uh, two men and a woman, uh, and they're kind of starving and can barely move. But some sometimes they figure they can escape, they can they get out of their bindings, and all they do is go and steal a little bit of food because they haven't got energy for anything else. All they do is go and steal a little bit of food, and then come back and share it. It's such a pathetic existence, they can't do much else. But they've also heard their captors talk about the um, this cube. So they said, well, let's find the cube as well. And they, anyway, they get back and they let out the Cenobites. And the Cenobites are about to, you know, said, you called, we came. You know, it's all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when yeah. it touches them, like the head Cenobite, it's not Pinhead, it reels back and says... Uh, yours not is not a soul I'm used to touching. There's nothing we can do to you that hasn't already been done, so we're just gonna leave. And he said no, no. And they said no, please help us, please help us. And just then the the captors sort of turn up and are shouting upstairs. And the Cenobite then look turns back to them and says, uh, "Well, I can't take you." However, you know, being the implication, they're going to wait for the captains to come down and take them instead, which is kind of a nice twist in a sick way. Uh, that story's called However. Um, but there are several good ones in this. It's really worth a read. I, I encourage anyone to have a read. Um, in fact, Clive Barker gives um, 
a nice foreword where he actually says something like, you know, he doesn't like the term mythos. This is a Hellraiser mythos book, but he doesn't like the term mythos. You should only call something a mythos when it's been around a thousand years kind of thing is his point of view. Yeah. Because, but these are stories about Hellraiser, but so there you go. So it's a, quite, it's a good read. It's a good read. So I'd recommend that one too. Fantastic. Well, yeah, thank you for... Thank you for telling us about those books in particular. I, I do kind of like that. It's it's sort of um, his take on what hell must be, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and of course that these demons are, are feeding. You know, uh, it's not so much. Interestingly, with Hellbound Heart, they don't uh, they don't seem to really derive pleasure from the pain. Uh, it's more like it, it sustains them. It like keeps them yeah. alive in a yeah, way. I agree with that. And in later mythologies, I mean. I- I guess it's kind of obvious. It's that it is there in the film, but it's not. It didn't become as obvious to me. But reading all this material, what struck me is the Cenomites are really not interested in souls. They can destroy souls and they can right. do things with them, but they're not interested in it. What they're interested in is flesh and what they can do to it. They're, right. Uh, and that would, you know, the things they do to themselves. And if you get into some of the other literature. There's discussions of there's bits where Pinhead has actually got parts of his body missing, you know, because of this or that. And it, even his bones are scorched with messages, you know. It goes th- that deep. And obviously they keep regrowing, you know. The, the, their yeah. flesh keeps regrowing back, but they're constantly sort of damaging their own flesh. and Or possibly they consider it, you know, um, almost like self-sculpting. It, it's You know, they're obsessed with their own flesh and the flesh of others. That's what it seems yeah. to be. That's that's an interesting thing to a way to point it out because you know I think of like you know they were their original victim so to speak is Frank who uh, seems to you know have has he's completely um, again almost like the Cenobites he has no pleasure anymore for the things of the world and he's he's comes to them looking for this ultimate gratification and what's interesting is hell for a person like Frank is someone who comes very close to to reaching that um well it's, it's an orgasm as he's going for but he never has release so yeah. he's never released from that and again it's like the pleasure is pain so it's it's again kind of going back to the cenobites themselves um you know they're, they're kind of like spending this eternity with uh in a, in a pleasureless sort of pain but they're constantly trying to uh, reach that high and again probably maybe this this recrafting of themselves of, the, of their flesh of you know it's still still kind of slaves to the flesh in a way you know and, and of course with uh with these other stories that you've uh, highlighted for us how they're you know the people that they take back with them like the boy who with his tongue has been taken out he's uh you know it's like he's absorbing the the pain and the or the sins of the flesh from other people which of course, I guess is what transformed him into the Cenobite. I, I didn't read the story, but that's kind of what it sounds like, you know. Yeah, keeping... there's there's something about they're they're not conventional souls, as it were, right? Or, yeah, or there's something where they and again back to the Elliot Spencer who becomes Pinhead. He's suffered the horrors of World War One, and he can't feel. It's almost like he can't feel anything, so he needs to push yep. himself to the edges, and that's what happens with Frank as well. Uh, and some of these others are not necessarily seeking to become Cenobites. It's just they suit the order. Right. Is how how it sort of comes across. Uh, uh, you know, or they are adept at something that kind of makes it appropriate. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting what even to this day it's kind of hard. You know, they, the Cenobites are called the Order of the Gash. Interesting word. You know, it indicates specific damage to flesh. Yep. by an instrument doesn't it kind of thing but in a clumsy in a non-surgical way 
which well, it's kind, kind of it's quite a word. Yeah, because you think of a gash, you think of somebody doing this quick, violent, almost a desperate, a desperate gesture. So, yeah, uh, indeed. Um, so those three books are. I mean, there's probably others that I'm not aware of uh, in terms of Pinhead, uh, and I certainly haven't read all the comics. Um, well, I discussed the comics with Matt in a, in another segment, uh, and he mentioned there's a few others that continue this story. There, there are some interesting ones that continue the story between um, Kirsty. And, and Pinhead, which which are kind of cool. Um, yeah, okay. I think um, I think we've kind of come to the end of this discussion. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed Hellbound Heart. It is a real treat. Uh, it is. I kind of envy you, but I have to tell you, it's one of those stories that bears rereading, uh, and you get something different out of it each time. You can kind of see aspects of it, and I think the film. And the book complements each other quite nicely, even though they're slightly different. They, it kind of works, uh, and you can. I'm kind of. I think it works well because Clive Barker directed it, and he had this vision, and the changes he made of ones he wanted to make. It wasn't a filmmaker saying, "Ah, that's not very filmic. Let's do this." It was he. Yeah. His artistic vision made it what it was. Um, oh yeah. Okay then. Great to talk to you. Thank uh, you. And uh, we're going to sign off now and go back to the main cast. I think we'll sign off, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. And while uh, Mike, Matt and myself had good fun talking about the movies, we kind of missed... Becky and Kieran, who are due to be on, uh, but Kieran has sent in a response and his thoughts on the five movies. So let's have a listen to that. Okay, so the Hellraiser franchise. Ignoring the previous films, which the first four, I feel, are all masterpieces, Inferno is the second best out of all of them after part two which is one of the best horror films of all time. All of those previous movies prior to this episode are perfect. That's that's horror at its best. But as for this front, what the movies we're talking about here, well, you know, it's, it's pretty hit and miss, you know. If you're comparing it to the previous films, I can see why people would hate it, because it completely abandons the narrative, you know, and the mythology of what made these movies so special in the first place. But if you take each of these films in their own merit, I think there's some, you know, positives to be found in all of them. For a start, right, take, let's take, talk about Inferno, which for me is one of the best movies in the entire franchise. I prefer this movie to the first one. And for me, the first one is one of the best horror films of all time, but for me, this is... I just love this movie here, because it's not even like you've got the detective noir aspects, you know, like, and it's not even that. I just feel it's got some really, really haunting imagery and atmosphere, which is incredible. It's got the hammy acting as well, which is... It's a model movie, because Craig Sheffers... A bit miscast, he's good in some parts, but overall I just think, I don't really rate him as an actor, I think he's a bit hammy. But, you know, originally you can tell this was supposed to be trying to probably, you know, 
be something more in the vein of what Jacob's Ladder and Mulholland Drive. And, but I think out of all of the sequels which weren't intended to be Hellraiser sequels originally, I think this incorporated it very effectively, the Hellraiser mythology effectively, because, you know, I think it, can, it fit in with it in a weird way, you know, Pinhead's role changed to more like a backstanding judge, jury and executioner, and it was more about psychological horror and like the plight of Craig Sheffer's character, but you know, I, th- I thought it worked, and general part to Scott Derrickson, who has proved himself to be a very, very good filmmaker, which is why he's directing Doctor Strange, and Sinister is one of the best mainstream horror films of the 21st century, you know, he knows how to create a good, chilling horror film, and that's what I felt Inferno was, so that's why I really like it, you know, it's definitely abandoned what made Hellraiser so special in the first place, but as a standalone horror film with some effective creepy moments, it's it's good. Hellseeker, on the other hand, is it, it's just okay. It's obviously trying to appease the Hellraiser fans by bringing back, you know, Kirsty and, you know, it's it wasn't like the other, but prior, it's still in like the whole cycle of these films that were just been like regurgitated from other scripts that weren't supposed to be Hellraiser movies. And, you know, it's just, it's a very watchable movie for me, but you know, it's, it, it kind of epitomises what was the downfall of the series, but like, I don't think it's unwatchable, it's an entertaining film in its own merits, but, you know, it's it's a bit dull, which in many regards as well, and, yeah, like, I really can't say about that, I don't dislike it, I don't particularly love it here, it's just, I've got no passionate things to say about it, or many criticisms, I just think it's a pretty watchable direct-to-video, like, horror film, you know, and if it wasn't a Hellraiser movie, it would probably be just an average, decent, watchable movie that you would check out on TV if it was on one night. (laughs) Dead, on the other hand, is a very interesting film. The cult aspect really, really fascinates me personally, but I thought there were some sequences in that film that were really, really chilling, like, you know, the, um, the train sequence with, like, you know, the massacre and it, it looks pretty cheap which kind of drags it down but especially when you compare it to like some of the previous films but yeah it's a really really enjoyable film for me and I really really dig it especially I really love the cult leader Hellworld on the other hand is just one of the most enjoyable films in the entire franchise after you know the original ones, which were actually good. But for me, Hellworld is just like a really, really fun, dumb slasher movie. And if that's how you view it, and you just ignore the fact that the, like, the first... Well, we'll say the first two, but you could argue the first four were just great movies. You could... Like, Hellworld is just... It's just dumb and fun. You know, if you want a good popcorn flick, I think you can do a lot worse than Hellworld, and 
that's why I really love it. But you know, I can see why people would hate it because it's you know it's completely abandoned what made the franchise special in the first place, and this is when it just completely degenerated in a complete corniness. But the other films are at least try to make an effort to be quite serious and scary. Even you can argue whether they passed or failed, but at least they were trying to be effective horror films. But Hell World was just not trying at all. It was it, it didn't try to disguise the fact it was just corny, but I, I thought it was fun. Lastly, Revelations is it's, it's a really bad movie, but at least it tried to be a Hellraiser movie again. It budget constraints against it. It was made for the wrong reasons, just to retain the rights. And it suffered from that tremendously. But at least it did try to retain the spirit of the Hellraisers, which were how it was originally meant to be. So I will give it kudos for that, but as everything else, it was a colossal failure. So it was a bad movie, but at least it did try to be to resurrect a series that was effectively dead and hopefully we can hopefully it'll make a return with judgement even though it's another movie been made for the wrong reasons but at least the director is a very passionate you know fan of the franchise who wants to resurrect it and hopefully he can transcend the constraints against them and do something special I doubt it'll happen, but hopefully it'll prove us wrong. But overall, I think this series has just been an interesting, watchable franchise for the most part. And it's, it's better than every other horror franchise for me. So, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. Apart from Revelations, it's been a success. I love every single film in it. So, yeah, that, that's it. And sorry for this rambling because I've been on the beer but <laughs> thanks for having me on as I kind of mentioned in several of the other segments we were due to have an interview with Paul Kane here uh, Paul Kane is the author of Hellraiser and its Legacy a great non-fiction work about about this series of movies and s- discussing some of the comics in the short films too and he's also the edit- one of the editors of a great anthology series uh, 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 which are ver- 21 different stories set in Hellraiser Universe called Hellbound Hearts that I've read and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. But unfortunately, Paul's been, has caught the flu, he's been laid up. Uh, so hopefully I'll get around to interviewing him uh, sometime soon, but at a later date than this podcast. And we'll bring that out as a separate special episode. 
Okay, that brings us to the end of this show. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts on this week's topic or anything else horror-related. Just email your messages uh, in written format or MP3 format to United Nations of Horror, all as one word, at gmail.com. And so drop us a line there. Uh, Also, you can head over to the website for all the latest podcast information, articles, reviews. Mike loves posting his reviews and they're really worth reading they're really interesting thank you um at uh, www.unitednationsofhorror.com yeah love your reviews mike uh also you can join our facebook group we love new blood we really do facebook.com <laughs> slash groups slash un of horror so thanks to mike and matt for joining me i hope you enjoyed yourself guys absolutely it's much, much more than watching movies, anyway. <laughs> um yeah it's been a bit hellish isn't it appropriately um so uh, we will see you next time on united nations of horror
made in Georgia.